This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Lirio's Occult Curios, where using a candle is more than just lighting a wick. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Witchy Woman Week on Pod Cemetery with 1996's The Craft and 2015's The Witch. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. In 1992's Army of Darkness, the incantation Ash has trouble reciting properly was a reference to what classic sci-fi film? The Day the Earth Stood Still. Excelente. All right, Kelsey. I'll do the easy one first and the maybe tricky one later. The original Michael Myers mask in Halloween 1978. (laughs) Was created using an actual Halloween mask of what actor? Shatner. That is correct. I was blanking on his name, William Shatner. Yep. That's one of those things that just like everybody knows through osmosis by this point. The next one isn't so well known, mm. but we'll get to that later. First, we will talk about 1996's The Craft with a story by Peter Filardi And screenplay by Peter Filardi and Andrew Fleming, directed by Andrew Fleming, who wrote and directed Dick after this. I mean, the movie Dick. It's also a really good movie. (laughs) Starring Robin Tunney, Feruza Balk, Nev Campbell, Rachel True, Skeet Ulrich, Christine Taylor, and Brecken Meyer. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Uh, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually the same year that Scream came out. So, Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich were in the same movie twice in the same year. Skeet Ulrich just never plays a good guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I can think of the the three things that when I think of Skeet Ulrich, I think of. And kind of not even this one, right? So, there's The Craft, there's Scream, and there's As Good As It Gets. <laughs> and he's a bad guy in all three of them. <laughs> Anyway, what is the craft about, Kelsey? Four teenage girls in the 90s decide to become witches, and they do. Yes, it is. (laughs) It is available for free with commercials on both Crackle and IMDb TV. If you don't feel like shelling out the cash for renting or buying it on all the other traditional services, should people watch this movie, Kelsey? Yes. I mean, of course, it's the craft. I mean, yeah, (laughs) you should watch The Craft. (laughs) And just to to drop in here before we get started talking about the movie, guys, there is some serious conversations about things like suicide and rape and stuff like this. So just keep that in mind. It hasn't exactly aged well. Fuck you. (laughs) 
But it is the craft. I love the craft. For instance, it has 90s covers of a lot of songs that are totally <laughs> unnecessary, which was a really, really big thing in the late 90s and early aughts. They yeah, just think did that about, all the fucking time. Think about all the movies we've talked about. I know what you did last summer. I think it's an urban legend as well. Like, there's just a lot the stepfather. of- Stepfather. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just a lot of covers of older songs. They just, especially when they're remakes, but not all the time. <laughs> Yeah, you should watch The Craft, but you can take our advice or leave it. Either way, when we get back, we will talk about 1996's The Craft. There's just something about them that's different. So what are you doing after school? That's exciting. How's it going? That's making everyone want to know them. I can't stop thinking about you. And there's a real good reason why. You're a witch! Watch out for those weirdos. We are the weirdos, Mr. Rated R at Theaters Friday. All right, Kelsey, you do what you do best. Get us started. We open with candles and burning sage and chanting. Okay, so (laughs) being a witch was like a thing at this time. A lot of kids growing up. Just like these girls in my middle school and high school, there were kids that were like, no, we're goth, but we really believe all this Wiccan stuff. And I hesitate to talk about being Wiccan as if it's some strange, weird thing when fucking every religion is just as strange and weird. But when people talk about being a Wiccan and being an actual witch, they talk about like, literal superpowers in this movie not like oh you know what if i pray god will provide through mysterious ways meaning i point at you and your dick turns into a ferret like (laughs) that's ridiculous so when i when i say that people that think they're witches are ridiculous that's what i mean there are people i have met many Uh uh-huh that start with Oh, Wiccan is all about the religion and all yeah, that. Uh-huh. But then you slowly find out, no, they believe their spells are working. Yes. They uh-huh. don't think they can look at you and make you do something, but they believe that if they do the right thing with the right with the right chance and the right mm-hmm. the right thinking and the right whatever it is potion they make, uh-huh. they really do believe that no, my spell's working. It's just, it takes a while, and it's... And it's subtle. And, it's subtle. But but is that really any different than thinking that prayer works? No, not at all. I mean, from an objective third-party view, that much is not. But people who think they're witches like in this, there's always those people that will experiment with that in high school and middle school and stuff. Middle and I was <laughs> and, and I was friends with those people. Yep. <laughs> But we have that style, which was extremely popular at the time. Yeah. Holy shit. The store that they go into, you used to be able to find those a lot more Everywhere. a lot more often than you can now. When I was in college, there was one goth store that was like really fucking goth. <laughs> uh, and it was really cool, but it was like the only goth place you could go that wasn't fucking hot topic. Mm-hmm. So, but Years earlier, when I was in middle school, it was fucking everywhere. Mm-hmm. But we see this sort of style with the candles and all this stuff. We then meet our 
basically main character. What's her name? I, the actress's name is Robin Tunney, but the character's name is Sarah. Do we know her from anything? Yes, Sarah Tunney was just at the same time in Empire Records. Oh, that's right. She's the girl who shaves her head. Because is, she looks so different in both movies. It's hard to equate them as the same yeah, actress. But that's why she wears a wig in this one is because she literally shaved her head for Empire Records. I love Empire Records. Yes. <laughs> she is a natural witch. So her power comes from within. So the idea in this movie is that anyone can become a witch through practice and learning spells and all that, but there and are rituals. natural witches who their power is much stronger. It's in their blood. Yes. Yeah, it's genetic, it's passed down, or it's gifted to you even though you're not actually a witch. And yes, you're like you say, their power is therefore stronger, especially if they channel it through the rites and rituals that the non-natural witches use to gain their power. Mm -hmm. What about her? So she is brand new to the place, uh, to their town, whatever that is. It's she L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she moves into this town, L.A., I guess, and she is brand new. And her mother died giving birth to her. We'll find this out later, but it's kind of important to know. So she's extremely depressed. We find out later that she did at one point try to kill herself. They're moving into their new house. And she opens the door, and a homeless man is standing there with a snake. Yes. And he says, I found this out back. Do you want it? Found this out back. You want it? And she starts freaking out because she has a phobia of snakes and bugs and scorpions. It's yeah, kind of just uh -huh. a whole bunch of things. Yes. Creepy crawlies, basically. I guess. Creepy crawlers. You don't remember that? I remember the the toy. That yeah, that was marketed towards young boys, boys yeah. as as opposition to the Easy Bake Oven. Yes, which is just incredibly gender normative back then. Yes, where ah, freak out your sister who's using an Easy Bake Oven with your creepy crawlers. It's this, it's literally the same thing. It's just one's edible and one's not. Yes. She flips out, and the guy is like, relax, relax. And then when the dad comes down, because, like, at first he's treating her like, why are you freaking out? Yeah. But when the dad comes down, he runs away. Yeah, because the dad's going to hit him with something. He's, like, carrying a golf club or something like that as he comes down. And he kills the snake that the homeless man leaves behind. And I, that homeless man will come up again he later. Will. Relax, what's the matter with you? Relax. But really all it's about is that he has some sort of attraction to snakes. He's like the homeless snake man. And that might have something to do with him having some sort of connection to the spiritual world and him being attracted to Sarah as a natural witch. But we see him one more time in the movie and it's never really explained what's going on there. Then she goes to her new school, which is apparently a private school. Yeah, private Catholic school. Now, I get that they are using the Catholic school because then they can wear their short skirts and it's a hot thing. I get that. And notice that as they get more and more powerful, their skirts get higher and higher. Yes. Clearly, this person who wrote this movie did not go 
to a Catholic private school. I did, and I can tell you right now, we were never allowed to do the things that they end up doing to their outfits at the end of the movie. Let alone the fact that, like, every single person walking around her has their shirt untucked. Yeah, and um, sometimes wear completely different shirts. Yes, yeah. they have completely di- very, very different looking outfits. And she shows up on the first day and doesn't have her uniform and is allowed to go to school. Guys, if you <laughs> if you showed up at a Catholic private school and you told them, oh, I didn't get a uniform yet, you know what they'd say to you? You're not allowed to come on campus yeah. until you have one. Mm-hmm. Also, yes, I would shorten my skirt. Yes, I would untuck my shirt. That's how you get detentions. I'm telling you right now, the idea that every single person around you was mm-hmm. not tucking in their shirts, was wearing really short skirts, bullshit. It's one thing that almost every TV show and movie gets wrong about school uniforms. It's like, oh, people are trying to be individuals. Like, yeah, people try to be. But they make it to where every single person has some sort of unique flair about their outfit. It's absolutely not true. It's a sea of sameness. Yes, and that's the point. Uh-huh. No one is supposed to stand out. Mm-hmm. Unless unless you're the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you find a loophole in that you're supposed to wear your jacket, but it doesn't say anything about whether or not you're supposed to wear it right side out. So he turns it inside out where it has a really colorful inside, and now he has a cool, colorful jacket that he wears every day to school. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Oh, we didn't talk about, we talked about covering songs. We didn't talk about Tomorrow Never Knows, which is a uh, Beatles song. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the intro song, and it's sung by Our Lady Peace, not the Beatles. I never would have known it was that song until you pointed it out. I'm like, this... Isn't this a Beatles song? And, like you couldn't even really hear the lyrics, and I was like, "No, no, no! This this sounds really familiar." <laughs> yeah, no, it totally was a Beatles song. There's another song which I do not get. They use basically the theme for the entire movie is "How soon is now?" Now you have "How soon is now," and you don't get the Smiths version. You get the version by Love Spit Love, which sounds almost identical but worse. And use that instead, probably because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. But, like, what is your obsession with covers? The Smiths version is perfect. Yeah, they probably couldn't afford it. They don't use that song. They love that song so much, they, they released it as a single, as the theme song to this movie. And then people make fun of the fact that Charmed, the TV show, was almost identical to the premise of the craft, it was just a TV show, and they were like good guys. I've never seen Charmed. Uh, well, the theme song to Charmed was How Soon Is Now by Love Spit Love. Really? Yes. Wow. Yep. So, as she's walking through the hallways, we're getting introduced to other characters. We see, I think we see Feruza Balk walking through, and that's when these three guys, Breck and Meyer and Skeet Ulrich being two of them, yes, uh, start acting like they're afraid. Like, oh, scary bitch alert. Oh, God, oh, please, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. And I understand that that's supposed to embarrass her. Right. 
But wouldn't that be more embarrassing for them? That's kind of exactly what she's looking for, by the way. Well, no, because they know that they're just faking it. They're feigning it. Right, but I would totally be like, oh, you're afraid of me? Like, what kind of a man are you? Like, that's the kind of shit I would say. But anyway, we do get to meet the other girls. We get to meet... Feruza Balk, as you say, who plays Nancy. We get to meet Nev Campbell, who plays Bonnie. And we get to meet Rachel True, who plays Rochelle. Now... Sarah, Nancy, Bonnie, and Rochelle are all in their 20s. <laughs> Rachel True was like 28, 29, something like that. She didn't look it. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I didn't think she was 15, but right. I didn't think she was that old either. So Bonnie, Nev Campbell, shows up and she's been reading out of a book and she says, supposedly today something new is going to happen. Something new that we really have been waiting for. Yeah. It's going to be our fourth. It's Maybe it's our fourth, exactly. And then they go into their French class, and Nev Campbell sees Sarah playing with a pencil, and that she is able to make it stand on its own and turn on its own without touching it. Uh-huh. And so she's like, oh shit, maybe that is our fourth. We also get to learn that Sarah can speak French fluently, which goes nowhere. Right. Um, <laughs> well, it's just the classic thing in a movie where somebody's called on when they're not paying attention Breck and then and they know no 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 I'm saying she is called on when she's not paying attention oh. and but they know the answer fluently like it's a it's a trope in school movies and it is so obnoxious our hero is the perfect specimen and it's not a Mary Sue thing, so before you get on that, it has nothing to do with being a Mary Sue. It's just the trope that in order to be impressed with our main character, they're not allowed to get in trouble or be embarrassed unless that feeds into, like, revenge later or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Breckenmeyer is just, like, being a dickhead. Like, oh, you mean did I get laid? Because he's pretending like yeah. he can't understand him, and then she she says something back to him. Uh-huh. It, Goes fucking nowhere. And Breckenmeyer, of course, just showing how much of an asshole he is. He's like, oh, we should be learning Mexican because we live in California. Yeah. You mean Spanish? You know, stupid yeah. bullshit. Anyway, when she walks into science class, she's told she needs to find a lab group. But when she goes over to sit with Feruza Balk, Nev Campbell, and Rachel True, when she goes to sit with them, Feruza Balk gives her the stink eye. Right. Because just ices her out. Balk wants to be the head, the leader of the mm-hmm. group, and she doesn't trust anybody, so she doesn't trust her yet. Right, and she also doesn't want somebody else finding the fourth. Yes, somebody's going to find the fourth. It's going to be her. I think also she just wants it to be the three of them. Yeah. So she goes and says with somebody else, Chris. Yes, who is Skeet Ulrich? Skeet Ulrich. Yes, and so he sits with her. And they're flirting, very obviously. Uh, He tells her that those girls are the bitches of Eastwick. Which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously a reference to witches of Eastwick. And he also says that Feruza Balk is a total slut, but that he does not know that from experience. Well, you see the one on the right? She's a major slut. I mean, I don't know from experience or anything, but... Shut up, Chris. Just shut up. Just what he's heard. Right. He also tells us that Bonnie, Nev Campbell, has scars all over her, which is why she wears so many layers of clothing so that nobody Mm. can see them. Even though the weird thing is, is that they're like all on her back. Yes. And yet 
she covers her entire body. But it's, it goes down like the back of her arms and stuff too. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She'll later end up wearing like a revealing top with a with a revealing neckline, and it's like there's Could nothing stopping you that. from wearing that before. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The other two, Rochelle and Bonnie, are not happy with Feruza Balk because they wanted to meet her. Yeah. And so Rochelle comes up to her and she says, Nancy's sorry, and just so you know, she's mean to everybody, so don't take it personally. And when she goes to introduce herself, Bonnie says, we already know who you are. Yeah. And that's when Feruza Balk says, you shouldn't be interested in the guy uh, because she's there watching him do football practice. Yeah. She's like, you shouldn't be interested in him. He comes on to anything with tits. He spreads disease. I know from experience. Yes. So now we've heard two versions of the story. More than likely, we're going to believe Feruza Balk's version of the right. story. Yeah. And this this hints back to something that I do find fascinating when it comes to your personalities and the cliques that you join and people who were f- friends at one point and then get separated for whatever reason later on in their life, which it definitely happens moving from elementary school to like say high school where people were best friends. And then all of a sudden they're in two different cliques that aren't supposed to get along. So now they're not friends anymore. And is, is one a result of the other or vice versa? And that kind of stuff is really, really interesting to me. Now, obviously, they had a thing. Is the implication? And the implication is that it happened more than once. She says later, we had some good times. Yeah. We had some hot times. So the implication is that it happened more than once. Because when I first heard you know their versions i thought it was that he slept with her just to use her yeah uh but then we find out that no this happened more than once which is my point like they they got along at one point or he was just using her well which may be the case but they still got along Mm -hmm. this is when bonnie will notice the scar on sarah's arm and she will comment on the fact that you even did it the right way yeah Which, as Chris pointed out as we were watching, and I agree with him, there was a big deal for a while where it was like, oh, you're just doing it for attention because you're doing it this way. Yeah. You, if you actually wanted to kill yourself, you'd do it this way. The problem with that is not everyone who cuts wants to kill themselves. Yes, true. And how dare you say that they're only doing it for attention? Yeah. You have no idea what's going on in their head. Right. And perhaps the pain that they're looking for is not meant to kill them. Well, yeah. I mean, the question is, was it a suicide attempt or was it cutting? Exactly. Which are two different things. Exactly. So then they go to the, the magic store altogether. And it really bothered me that they were stealing from her. Yeah. Because I get it. Oh, Solidarity amongst witches, right? That. <laughs> and like, I get that Feruza Balk is supposed to be super poor. I understand that. But there's no reason that the other girls are doing it. Yeah. And this woman well, has do whatever shop where, Balk she, does. where she sells magic. Like, I'm just like, she's probably barely getting by. Right, yeah. So one thing about magic, I don't know if she is anymore, but at least at the time, Feruza Balk was actually Wiccan. Awesome. The only Sounds person like Balk. It totally does. <laughs> who we know, by the way, as most people should know, from Return to Return Oz. Return to Oz. 
she plays Dorothy Gale in Return to Oz, who looks like a younger version, even though it's a sequel. And that movie is fucking awesome. Yes, it is. I never watched it before I met Kelsey, and it is dope as shit. I couldn't believe it when yeah. you told me. But anyway, she is actually Wiccan, and in order to make it as real as possible, she suggested somebody to be like a Wiccan expert. And so they brought in this woman, Pat Devon, who was like their advisor and wrote all the incantations that they do. And those are supposedly all based off of real incantations. Uh, however, she didn't think it was a very good idea to invoke real spirits. So they made up the God Menon. Okay. Menon. Does not exist. It is similar to... God of the Sea, Mananan, or Mananan, or whatever it is. And there's stories about how when they did the Oceanside invocation of Manan, that the tide kept coming in and out at irregular intervals, coinciding with when they did the invocation. And yeah, which... Who's who knows what to believe? That kind of shit it supposedly happens on every single set involving any sort of spirituality. So are they all right? I mean, come on. But that's so they say. Chris, you don't have any fun. <laughs> this is where she is told that she is a natural witch. The woman who works there automatically knows it, that her mother was also a witch. And when she goes to buy candles and books, she says, do you even know what you're buying? Like, and she's like, here, take these manuals. Understand what you're doing. Yeah. Don't just fucking light candles. You don't know what they stand for. You and, don't know and, what you're asking for. And this is a theme that can be easily overlooked throughout the movie. Those who actually possess a power versus the posers. There is an implication that... The three women actually do not have any power whatsoever, and they chalk it up to the fact that that's because there's only three of them in their coven, and they need a fourth, one for every cardinal direction. Then once they get their fourth, then they get to, uh, oh, we have all the powers that we need now. But the implication is that the only reason they have any power is because Sarah is a natural witch and they are basically leeching off of her and she is very powerful which I is which why is why she's a, they're able to leech off of her even though she doesn't know how to use any of her powers yet it is when they leave her shop that we see that homeless guy again yes and he shouts at her that i he had a dream about her and that she was dead in his dream and then he dies again this goes nowhere he gets hit by a car when all the women are looking at him. And they and all think. They all commiserate. They're like, oh, my God. I, I, I thought he, he would get hit by a car, and then he did. And they're like, yeah, I did, too. Oh, my God. We actually made it happen. And at this point in the movie, you're like, he was standing in the middle of the street. He got hit by a car. You thought he might get hit by the car because he was standing in the middle of the street. <laughs> but they think, holy shit, this is real. But again, like, my question is just, like, were there rewrites? Was that homeless man supposed to be important to the story? No, I'm just supposed to be spooky. I did like that they showed it. They showed him being run over. Yeah. You rarely see that. 
Yep. But also his face should have been totally crushed. Oh, yeah, because he was run. O- his head was run over. And then you see him and he's just like. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so this is when they explain who Mano is. Manon. They say Mano. No, they say it in French, which is Manon. But there's an N at the end. I know there's an N at the end. But they don't say Mano would be with a T at the end. It's Manon. Anyway. (laughs) Here's your French lesson for the day. (laughs) They explain to her that he is everything. He is, they said if God and the devil had like a fight, then Manon would be the stadium that they did it in. Yeah. It's like God and the devil. I mean, it's everything. It's it's the trees, it's the ground, it's the rocks, it's the moon. It's everything. It's nature. No. If God and the devil were playing football, Manol would be the stadium that they played on. It would be the sun that shone down on them. So he's everything and he's everywhere. He's bigger than God, he's bigger than the devil, yes. Yes. And then she's explaining that she has powers, she has natural powers, but they get all fucked up all the time. Yeah. So, like, for example, she says, if I want it to rain, a pipe will burst. Yes. You know? So it's like things happen, but it's not what she wanted to happen. Right. Because she doesn't know that she has any actual powers to harness. And they're like, well, that's just coincidence, you know? Well, that's when Feruza Balk says bullshit. And she says, honestly, I just want to invoke the spirit. And she goes, you know, what does that mean? And she's like, well, you can feel him inside you, and he makes everything better again. Which is when she says, nothing makes everything better again. He takes everything that's gone wrong in your life, and he makes it all better again. (sighs) Nothing makes everything all better again. (sighs) Maybe not for you. And so then her and Feruza Balk are now at odds with each other. And so Feruza Balk kind of is a bitch to her. And then she says, Sarah says, you guys are freaking me out, so fuck off. And she leaves to go see the boy. Yeah. Chris. That's when Bonnie says, we need her. And I think that's when Rochelle says, she'll be back. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't matter that Feruza Balk is being a bitch to her. She'll come back because she wants this. Yeah. And and we're we're meant to be a coven. But right? still, Bruce Balk was a bitch. Totally. So she goes to meet up with him and some of his friends, and it's like a date, basically. But he's just so pathetic and such a douchebag. Like, I, I don't... Mean, it's high school. I guess, but I just don't believe she would be interested in him. She's a high schooler. She's not an adult woman who knows what's good and bad for her. I guess, but, like, he's so pathetic. Like... And dreamy as fuck and cool as shit. And but eventually, basically, he essentially asks her to go home. My parents aren't home. We all know that he means let's have sex. Yeah. And she says, no, I, I want to go home. To which he gets kind of butthurt. And she's just like, oh, are you mad? I'm sorry. What? She's... She- like legitimately apologizing. Apologizing for the mm-hmm. fact that she won't go home and have sex with him. Yeah. Ugh. But so then the next day she finds out from the girls that he's been going around school telling everyone that they had sex and that she was the lousiest lay that he's ever had. Yeah. Not only that they had sex when they didn't, but that she's an awful lay. 
And um, when she confronts him about it, as she should. Well, they they also say before she leaves, he did the same thing to Nancy. Yeah. And so if we trust that Nancy's telling the truth, which at this point, and I think even at the end of the movie, we have no reason not to trust her about that. Yes. We can see how it played out. It's because he volunteered the fact that Nancy's a slut with absolutely no prompting. Mm-hmm. Like, that's got to make you question what somebody's motives are. Mm-hmm. And, but she confronts him, and he does that whole, no, I will not make out with you thing, you know, where it's like, no, I will not sleep with you again. It's really pathetic that you keep begging me, like, loud enough for people to hear. It's a really obnoxious thing that people do. Yes. Look, I don't want to go out with you again, okay? Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Shut up, Chris. Just shut up. Then we get to see this interaction uh, between Rochelle and Marsha Brady. (laughs) (laughs) Christine Taylor, her character's name is Laura Lizzie. There were rewrites, by the way. Yes. In that they had to be for them. Yes. They had a lot of interest after they had already filmed some stuff. And they were given more money to go back and flesh out some areas. That includes the relationship between Laura Lizzie and Rochelle. Interesting, because I would say that of the four stories we get here, hers is the least fleshed out. It's so ridiculous. It's just that more stuff happens, right, than than was originally scripted. Because (laughs) the whole, the entire conflict, the entire conflict is that they're both on the swim team. And Laura Lizzie is racist. Yeah. And that is the whole conflict. At one point, she says that Rochelle's hair are nappy little pubic hairs. And then later on in the movie, spoiler alert, Laura's hair falls out. That's the entirety of the conflict. But it do- it's enough to get Rochelle to question if what she's doing is okay. And that will reflect itself in something that happens in the movie uh, a little bit later. Yeah, basically, yeah, she just, she's just a bitch to her, and yeah. she's just racist. Like, and, it, and when asked why, what does she say? You want me to say it? No. <laughs> why are you doing this to me, Laura? Do you think you're funny? You really want to know why? Yes, I really want to know why. Because I don't like Negroids. Sorry. Yes. That's what she said. Like, that's it. That's it. Why are you like this to me? Oh, sorry. Like, Jesus, that's... Number one, it's really fucking lazy writing. And number two, I can't believe... It, it, it would be a very unbelievable caricature of a white supremacist to say something like that. Let alone a popular girl in school. Like, you would be a little bit more... You would be euphemistic about it. You wouldn't be flat out like this. And not to not to deny that there are people out there that are like this, but you're the popular girl in school. Like, she would have said something like, oh, well, we don't like your kind or something like that. Like, it's pretty bad. Plus, it's very odd to hear Marcia say that. <laughs> Who, by the way, is Ben Stiller's wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Then we get to see Bonnie's predicament where we get to see all the scars on her back and that they're doing surgery on her to try and get rid of the scars. Oh, God, I hated these scenes as a kid. I don't know why. it's very hard for Chris to watch. It's tough because the realism of the skin and the needle going in and out and her pain, I totally believe. And it's like every empathy bone in my body is just tingling when I see these scenes. I don't know why, but ever since the first time I saw it back in the 90s, it was like that. I think when it comes to physical pain, I think that's probably the only thing in a movie that I can't, like, it does nothing to me. Yeah. I can watch people die. No, that's not true. I hate watching people be tortured. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, uh, torture porn. Yeah, but I don't care, like, like a medical procedure, I'm just like, whatever. (laughs) It's just... Yeah, I can't. Like, I've seen real medical procedures that haven't bothered me as much as this does. We also get to see that Feruza Balk lives in a trailer with her mother and her mother's boyfriend. Who's abusive and they're both druggies. Yes, they're both alcoholic. He will hit on the daughter. He will actually hit the, the mother. Like, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. So those are the things they want to change about their lives. Rochelle wants to get back at Marsha. Laura Lizzie. Bonnie wants to get rid of her scars. Yes. Feruza Balk doesn't want to be white trash. Yes. And Sarah, what she really actually wants is belonging, a family. Her mom died when she was a baby, I think maybe even shortly after she was born. She died in Yeah, and she's moved to a new place. And so finding this coven and this place to belong is really important to her. And that's what causes a conflict when the coven really starts to contrast with her personal values, which comes up very soon. But the immediate thing she wants is for Chris to stop being such an asshole and actually like her. Like, why does he treat me like this? Why doesn't he like me? Which is a really shitty thing for a young woman to think. Just, hey, don't be a fucking asshole because you're an asshole. I don't want you to like me. Just don't be a dick. But she is a young person. So that happens, you know. These are all the things that they want. And they ask for these things. Specifically, though, in a ritual... All of them but Nancy ask for their thing. Nancy asks for all the powers of Manon, and she gets them. Yes. They do that at, like, a picnic in a meadow, <laughs> and they, like, cut <laughs> well, their fingers I said and earlier, drink the blood. <laughs> yes, they drink their blood, and she Nancy drinks all of it with the wine. I said earlier that this takes place in Los Angeles. They went out of their way to find unique locations in the L.A. area, so it wouldn't just look like any other movie shot in Los Angeles. Hmm. I like that when they they get off the bus, he says, watch out for those weirdos. And then Fruza Balk says, says, we are the weirdos. Watch out for those weirdos. <laughs> we are the weirdos, mister. She also takes a knife and stabs it into the ground and says, as above, above, so so below. below. I've never understood that. In modern times, it's looked at as a Christian thing. That's what I thought. That's a modernism where you basically say, you know, as above, so below. As it is in heaven, shall it be on earth? Like that sort of thing. But originally, it, it traces back to these more esoteric religions 
like the concept of the microcosm and the macrocosm, like the earth is not just a series of things of cause and effect. What happens on earth reflects what happens on the astral plane. And so that's what they're referring to. Got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. After they do their whole thing, butterflies show up and And they believe. Yes, they believe that means that Menno is listening. Yes. The very next day at mass, Chris comes up and wants to sit next to her. Apologizes and will, to her. And, tell, and, and will tell all his friends that he lied. Uh-huh. Will hold all of her friends' books, all of her books. Ignores his friends when they tell him to sit with him. Pays attention at mass when she tells him to. Yeah. So he is just absolutely obsessed. I like when Breckenmeyer says, what are you, a Stepford boy? Uh-huh. Like that. So then they have a sleepover where they do the whole stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board, which we mentioned in our episode on The Gate, where they do something very similar to that to Stephen Dorff when he's sitting in a chair and he actually floats. And hits a, the light. Yes. <laughs> a very similar thing happens here when they do light as a feather, stiff as a board, Rochelle actually floats. And when... Bonnie's mom comes in without knocking first. She falls to the floor. It's like, oh, my butt or my ass or whatever it is that she says. And the mom says, are you girls getting high? (laughs) (laughs) It's really cute. I got clean towels for everyone. (laughs) Oh, my butt. What's going on in here? Nothing. Why? Are you girls getting high? No, mom. Rochelle is back on the high dive and Laura's being a bitch. Laura just got out of the water when she takes off her swimming cap. Some hair comes out and she starts freaking out and then Rochelle feels great and she dives very well. I do want to say Sarah walking by Marsha grabs a piece of her hair. Yes. And Marsha's like, what the fuck? And she's just like, oh, sorry, I thought I saw a bug, you know? Uh And she's going to wrap her hair into Rochelle's hair. Now, when she does this, Rochelle asks, what do you think will happen to her? Like, she's genuinely like, Uh I don't know. Should I just want revenge on this person? Yeah. Does that make me as bad as she is? And I liked Sarah's response of, hey, if she leaves you alone, nothing will happen. What do you think will happen, Alora? I don't know. If she leaves you alone, nothing will happen to her. Nothing good. So that's why it really bothers me later when Rochelle will see the girl with her hair falling Uh out and she's crying and she says, it just keeps coming out. What did I do to deserve this? Well, I can tell you exactly what you did. Exactly. And uh Rochelle feels guilt over that. Well, because she doesn't like feeling that way. There is a fine line between revenge and justice. Justice is righteous. Revenge is weakness. I agree. And... She feels like what she's just gotten is revenge, and it makes her feel dirty. I guess, but I I think it really is summed up in Sarah's response. Mm-hmm. If she leaves you alone, nothing will happen. Yeah. And that's kind of the way life is. Yeah. Well, it maybe should be, or maybe shouldn't. I don't know. But the point is, she feels good when her hair starts falling out. When it gets extreme later, and she's practically going bald... That's when she, and and Laura's crying in the shower on the floor and panicking. That's when she doesn't feel so good. That's when Rochelle starts not feeling as great. And I can understand that feeling. It's gone a little bit too far in her mind. She was content with just her hair starting to fall out. 
But again, when she says, what did I do to deserve this? I would love to have been there and been like, you were a racist. It is is bad filmmaking because when she says that, it evokes in our heads exactly what she did. And it makes us feel strongly that she deserves it. Which what we're supposed to be empathizing with is Rochelle, who doesn't feel so hot right now. So do not remind us (laughs) that Laura might deserve this, (laughs) is the point. But anyway, we're skipping ahead a little bit with that storyline. It's fine. Bonnie goes in for her follow-up for the surgery that she got, and the dead skin just peels right off, and her actual real skin, Nev Campbell's skin, is underneath it. And, oh my god, it worked, and it worked better than I've ever seen it work before. This is a miracle. And she starts showing up at school, like, showing a lot of skin, and people are really liking it. Then what happens with Nancy is she's at home... There's a conflict, and her stepfather or her mom's boyfriend is being abusive to her mom. She gets in the way to save her mom, and her stepfather or mom's boyfriend ends up having a heart attack. And and, there's an electrical fire. Yes, and dying. And all the insurance together gets them hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever. 175000 That's just his life insurance. Yes. Um. So they have, they can move into an apartment now or a house or wherever it is that they end up moving. And she's no longer white trash, which is what she really what wanted. Mm-hmm. But she gets really obnoxious about it. And so does Bonnie. And so does Rochelle. But, but Rochelle starts feeling bad about it. The weird thing about Rochelle. Is that, yeah, she kind of doesn't become a bitch. It's just that she goes along with Yeah, she just follows whatever the other two do. Yeah. But she never really does anything, like, she's not obnoxious and she's not a bitch, really. Yeah. It's a bummer. I do have written down here, she loses her hair and suddenly feels bad? Fuck that. But that is what Rochelle wanted. She wanted Laura to feel bad. Like, it's so dumb. Oh, I'm losing my hair now, so now I feel bad for being racist. Like, the How two don't that, connect. Exactly. But, that, I mean, that's the bad writing there. But in the story, in the context of the story, Rochelle got what she wanted. But things kept going wrong for Laura, which is why Rochelle started to feel bad. But like like, like we say, it doesn't make any sense that her hair would start to fill fall out and then she'd feel bad for being racist to somebody it's stupid they show that sarah's powers are getting stronger she now can change her eye color she can change her hair color she can make things look differently yeah which is going to come it's going to become important they they're learning how to do glamours as they put it yes make you see what they want you notice who's the first one to be able to do that sarah yes chris has become exceptionally obsessed and he starts showing up at her house in the middle of the night and blah, blah, blah. So she goes to the lady and she's like, I would like to call this off. It's getting w- – I didn't mean for him to become like this. I just wanted to get back at him for being a dick. And she explains, well, you should have done your research. It doesn't work that way. The The spell needs to run its course. Yeah. And – Sometimes it'll come back three times worse. Yeah, and that's another warning that she gets from, I think her name is Lirio. The woman who works in the Yeah. Store. So 
Sarah's starting to like be like, oh shit. This is coming back to haunt me in in a similar way to like you might see originally, maybe not originally, but probably popularly in A Midsummer Night's Dream, you know, where with the love potion stuff, it's the classic love potion trope where you give somebody a love potion and then they become a nuisance and then they it's turned into a more horror filled storyline like it does in this and in Wish Upon, which we watched and it's god awful. (laughs) Um, there are also a lot of connections to Wish Upon. I feel like the writer of Wish Upon loves this movie, The yeah. Craft. Well, because it's, um, it's, The Craft is really a monkey's paw tale wrapped in a witchcraft package because all the things they do end up biting them in the ass. Yes. You know, Bonnie becomes a bitch. Uh, and starts losing friends as a result, specifically Sarah. Rochelle feels really bad about what she's done because the spell was more powerful than she thought it was going to be. She starts losing control of her connection to herself, which we see when she turns to look at herself in the mirror. And the mirror is not a reflection. It's an exact duplicate. So when she looks left towards the mirror, the mirror image on her left looks left as well, as in away from her. So she there's that disconnect between her her and her herself. Interesting. Like she's lost herself. And Nancy ends up getting so powerful, she becomes obsessed with this power and and paranoid. And when Sarah comes out and says, "Hey, listen, Lirio told us that it's going to come back to us three times. We shouldn't be using it for personal gain because it's only going to make things worse." Nancy gets pissed off because mm-hmm. she's really enjoying this power that she has. Mm-hmm. And she's seen great rewards. There is a moment where Chris eventually tries to rape Sarah. And it's a really big fucking deal. And it's an intense scene. How does that end? She gets out of the car and runs away. Yeah. He runs after her and she hits him, I think. Yeah. And then she gets to the other girls. Yeah. And she tells them what happened. And that's when Fru's Balk says, we need to go get him right now. Yeah. Where would he be? There's a party. Let's go to the party. So Feruza Balk goes to the party, even though Sarah told her, no, don't go. I'll just deal with it myself. No, yeah. she says, this has to be taken care of. He has to be stopped. Yeah. So they go to she goes to this party and and he comes to talk to her because he's like, oh, hey, you're here. Is Sarah with you? She goes, yeah, she's upstairs. Come with me. And he's shit-faced. He lays down on the bed. She tries to hook up with him. And he's like, what the fuck? I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to date you. I don't want to mm-hmm. have sex with you. So she performs a glamour and turns into Sarah. Yeah. And then now because he's love potioned or whatever. Now he wants to be with her. Sarah um, busts in on them while they're doing some heavy petting, I guess, like they're not naked or anything. And he freaks out. You're a witch. They were right. They usually are. Yeah. You're a witch. <laughs> they were right. They usually are. And Sarah is trying to stop her. She's like, come on, let's go. It's time to go. 
And she and Verusabolg's like, no, he's got to pay for what he did to you. And that's when Chris says, you're just jealous. And that's when Verusabolg freaks out because she is jealous. Yeah. She totally is. Well, I mean, um, when Sarah said that she wanted Chris to like her, we got a shot of Feruza looking at Sarah because Feruza went through the same thing that Sarah went through and she didn't get what Sarah has, which is Chris's attention. But she only got it because of the spell. I understand. But that's not what Feruza's considering. She She's upset that, you know, basically she saw Chris first originally. He did the same thing to both of them, yet he wants Sarah. So when she when he says jealous, she starts to laugh and says, jealous, you don't even exist to me. You are nothing. You are shit. You treat women like whores. Um, and the whole time she's doing this. So she's floating. And her like her the toes of her witch boots are like dragging across the floor. So cool. <laughs> I love that shot. And she has this dress. I have a dress that's a little similar. It's not uh-huh. exactly the same, but it's got the like long sleeves like she has. Yeah. And it's flowing in the wind and her hair is all crazy. And Feruza Balk is fucking dope. I'm sorry. Feruza Balk is fantastic. She's so good in this movie. Yes. And, and every time where she's just supposed to go off the deep end, she totally commits to it. <laughs> and she's so much fun. This is when he says, I'm sorry. Because he's afraid of what she's going to do to him. Uh Uh-huh. And she says he's sorry. He's sorry. And she just starts freaking out. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's sorry. Oh, he's sorry. 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 I can't tell you how often I hear and see that in my head. <laughs> I can't tell you. It's anytime someone apologizes, but it's bullshit, and uh-huh. we all fucking know it is, uh-huh. I get that image in my head, and I just want to scream, he's sorry, he's sorry, but I don't. <laughs> I fucking want to. So what does she do? She pushes him out the window. Yeah, and he's like three stories up. Yes. He did. Mm-hmm. But Sarah, did they call it an accident or a suicide? I don't remember. They, I don't even think they don't they even really us. go into it. There's yeah. not even a big impact at school. Like Look, this movie only cares about these girls. Yes. They don't really want to deal with any other of the story. Totally. The rest of the story is very weak. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah is disturbed. Rightfully so. Yeah, so she leaves. She goes home to see talk to her dad. And she says, I think he was a good guy underneath it all. Mm. Are you fucking kidding me? It's this I can change him, I can make him better complex that, that some people have. And she says the whole, like, don't touch me. Everything I touch turns to shit. Yeah. I can only imagine how shitty it would be to be a parent in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, all you want to do is make things good for your kid and they, they're so upset, and you trying to comfort them makes it worse. That's got to really sting. Mm-hmm. And then in her dreams that night, uh, she dreams that the girls come in to choke her to death, and they're laughing and they're flying. Yeah. And the implication is that they did it on purpose. 
We don't get confirmation on that. Well, yeah, because Nancy is already pissed that Sarah is upset at her. Yeah. And thinking oh. about leaving the coven. Because because Sarah tried to do a binding spell. Well, this that's what happens here, right? She does this she tries to do this binding spell on her. Nancy says, "Don't do any spells on me." Yeah, as if she knew that she had done that. And she also gives her a warning of saying in the past, covens would kill any witch that would betray them. Yes. Now, here is the problem with this. This is where the the major conflict in the movie is. It's not the witches versus everyone else. It's Sarah versus the rest of her coven. Because Rochelle and Bonnie, enamored by the new power that they have and their pre-existing relationship with Nancy, side with Nancy, even though they have their own misgivings. They still side with Nancy. And what ultimately is going to happen, if they're successful, is the destruction of their foursome, which is the source of their power. Not only is the four of them being together the point, but the fourth they're trying to get rid of is the one with all the actual natural power. Yeah. Like, it is a self-defeating quest that they're on. I agree. And it's never really addressed. In the movie, which is kind of weird. I agree. So she goes to the lady who owns the store because she's scared. And she tells her, okay, you've got to surrender yourself to the higher power. You've got to invoke the spirit. And she's like, but look at what happened to Nancy. And she's just like, well, she takes it to a dark place. Yeah. You have light inside of you. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's not like Manon is some demon or whatever, he is just life and existence and things. And if you want, if you are a person of light and you harness his power for good, bad things won't happen. Mm-hmm. Nancy did not take that to heart or even listen to that in the first place. Yes. And then Sarah ends up seeing a glamour of like an explosion. Yeah, basically. that doesn't actually happen. So she runs home. When she gets home, she sees a letter or a note from her father saying that they've gone somewhere. Then Feruza Bolt calls and says it's all over the news. You better turn it on. And there's a glamour that her that her parents' flight had crashed. Then yes. the house is filled up with bugs and spiders and snakes and scorpions. Cockroaches and yeah. And all that stuff. Maggots. So this whole thing is meant to get Sarah to kill herself. Including at one point when all three of them show up and they're floating and everything like that, Nancy causes a glamour. And this is all just a bunch of glamours. It's not real power. And causes her to slit her wrist the wrong way. Not that there's a right way. Even though they had this conversation earlier. But the whole objective is to get her to kill herself. And so they let her run upstairs and cry in her room. And they wait downstairs. When she does run up there, Feruza Balk being a total bitch, but like also annoyed. I kind of love that she gets annoyed. She says she's so pathetic, right? Yeah. Run! Run back up to your room like the little coward that you are. That's right. He's so pathetic! But I feel like that's a moment of like, just like friends judging each other. Yeah. Just like, she's just like, are you fucking kidding me? This is all it takes to make you run upstairs to your room? Like, 
she's just annoyed with her. Well, also, like, if you had a really good friend, and and obviously this is not what's actually happening in, happening in this moment, but this is a it's like this and this friend is pining over this guy who treats her like shit and is really upset that I just want him to like me. You might have an instinct to say, God, this is really pathetic. Mm -hmm. Like it's that sort of thing. Like I love you. You need to be stronger than this. Mm -hmm. It's like disappointment. Even though this is Feruzabal's plan. Yes. Uh huh. I think the other two girls run away. Because I think they say it's gotten out of hand. Yeah, well, Rochelle tries to say that, and Nancy says, no, get up there. Or I'll kill you. Yeah, or I'll slit your throat or something like that, she says. And so they go up there. Meanwhile, Sarah's like, she's almost dead just from terror, because she has this phobia. And she tries to invoke Manon. Yes. And she ends up hearing the voice of her mom. Mm -hmm. Her mom says, don't be afraid. Reach inside yourself. At this point, Sarah is able to tap into her latent magical abilities now she can actually fight back and she heals her wrists supposedly or she removes the glamour from them whatever and forces Rochelle and Bonnie oh that's right to see the bad stuff again come back times 3 Bonnie's scars get worse and Rochelle's hair starts falling out and they freak out and they run off and i think Nancy calls them pathetic too and now Nancy and, and Sarah are going to have a fight. And it's a really cool fight. And Sarah tries to bind her again now that she has all the, this power back. And before she can quite finish the repetitions of saying it over and over again, Nancy attacks her and kind of turns gravity on its side, which is really cool. They filmed it. They shot the hallway. It was It was literally a structure built on its side. And so... Stuff was falling from above. It looked like it was falling sideways. That's effect that's used for a lot of things, but it looks really cool. And Nancy has this ceremonial dagger or whatever it is that she has, or just a plain knife. I can't remember. And it's like stabbing at her repeatedly. Now we don't ever see what happens with that, but Sarah's unharmed. Like Nancy is straddling on top of Sarah and stab, 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 stab. Her hands are going down over and over and over and over again. It's kind of hard to make out what's going on because there's all these papers and shit flying everywhere. But Sarah doesn't get hit by any of it. So while, yes, Nancy's magic is working in a way against Sarah, that binding spell has also started working already, even though Sarah wasn't able to finish it, at least not yet, because she's protecting herself from the stabs there are a couple of things i want to say about that fight too yeah i love when she first goes upstairs and realizes that sarah is no longer scared mm -hmm. and will not be trying to commit suicide she makes feruza balk like see that her fingers become snakes she sees bugs all over herself as well get this those effects were some of the ones that they added on with the extra money. 
that cheesy, really fucking shitty effect of Feruza Balk's fingers turning into garter snakes. It is really bad. <laughs> like, really bad. And it's used a lot. And now, maybe now, we can look back on it and go, it's fun bad. But at the time, I think we were all supposed to be impressed. <laughs> well, I like that when she covers her in bugs and stuff. Yes. That's when Fruz Balk says, I'm sorry for what I did. And Sarah says, good. And she's going to continue to bind her or whatever. And that's when she gets mad. So she's trying to be yeah. like, oh, I'm really sorry. Don't get mad at uh -huh. me. But she continues to bind at her. Uh -huh. And so she's, she flips out, wait, wait, I called him first. And that's when she attacks her. Yeah. And then she thinks that and Is she talking about Chris? Is she talking about Manon? Oh, I always thought she was talking about Manon. Yeah. That's a good I, well, I question. Think, I think that's the, that's the literal part that we're supposed to hear but i think there's the underlying relationship that that sarah's the new girl came in and now all of her friends are interested in sarah and, at and the not heart her of it, they're all just stupid teenage girls yes i love that mm -hmm. that's a i never thought about that i always thought i called him first i called she literally called the powers him. of man on yeah. yes mm -hmm. but ultimately it is a i called dibs kind of <laughs> yeah and when she thinks that Sarah's been crushed. She moves this big, heavy armoire yeah. out in front of her, and there's only the clothes. Yeah. And I love Fruza Balk's moment of looking at it and then deciding that she's really there, and she goes, tricky, tricky. Yeah. And then she goes to get her, to, like, stab her. this is her. when all the stabbings happen, yeah. Uh -huh. And this is when Sarah comes back, yeah, like, uh -huh. into her clothing. Like, she was there the whole time. Yes. It was a glamour that she wasn't. And I loved the moment that Fruza Balk took... Uh huh. To consider, to realize that, yeah. Is she really there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what makes Nancy go insane ultimately? Because I don't have that here. Manon is very mad with Feruza Balk. Yes, for very angry with her. His and, powers, and so he took all her powers from her, and taking all of that out of her made her go crazy. Yes. So classic, sort of the. The bad guy Batman. ends up in an insane asylum with very, the Riddler. Yes, yes, very Riddler uh -huh, Batman. Which is then done in Batman versus Superman, where What's-His-Face goes insane, too. And <laughs> it's done in everything. <laughs> what does he say in Batman Forever? I know who Batman is or whatever. And he's like, I am Batman. And yes. he has all the... And he starts flapping. Edward, please. Who is Batman. I'm Batman. It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. I love that movie. But it's a and, very similar sort of thing. And that's how Furry Zabalk ends it. I'm flying. Yes. I'm flying. I'm flying. I'm flying. I'm flying. I'm flying. <laughs> yeah, and she has this like very prudish sort of top on that she's wearing in this asylum, and it it just took me back to her as Dorothy Gale. 
in Return to Oz. And that's just a little side thing. But <laughs> it is kind of a tired trope. We're, you know, driving the villain insane. It kind of, it makes mental illness seem like a punishment for bad people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which which, which kind of sucks. But that's that was the trope at the time. And we find out that Bonnie and Rochelle no longer have their powers because they show up to her house. This is another thing that was added. Ah, and they say, you know, hey, we just wanted to see if you still had your powers. You know, if you wanted to ever hang out. And she goes, no. Well, she says, D- hold your hold your breath and wait for my call. Yeah, and I think she's moving again too, right? Probably. Uh, but then... We see her dad too, because... You know, that that's that's another thing they added from test screenings is they wanted confirmation that her dad was really okay. <laughs> uh, and basically, Rochelle kind of adds bitchily as on her way out, I knew she didn't have her powers. And then she decides, oh, fuck that, and mm-hmm. shows them, no, no, I still got them. Yes. And you she just don't. Causes a storm to happen and all that stuff. See, it's like this, this adds to my point that without. The four of them, they lose power, and specifically, without Sarah, they lose power. Because Sarah's still powerful. She's not a part of the four of them anymore, but she still has more power than she's ever had. And that's the combination of her invocation of Manon and her naturally, like, latent witchcraft. Mm-hmm. She's come into her own. She's become a full-fledged witch at the end. Before we wrap up the craft, did you know they have been talking, almost since the movie came out, about doing a sequel? Well, I know they're making, they're doing a remake. Yeah, they never did the sequel, but it was confirmed, I think in 2015, that Blumhouse and the original producers, Red Wagon Entertainment, are doing a remake of it. And Feruza Balk said... She was against the idea. She said it way, way, way. She's always been against the idea of a remake or a sequel or anything like that. And she added on to that when people are like, we want to see a remake. She's like, no, I just think remakes are a bad idea in general. They tend to be a bad idea. So why would you want to do that when you can do something original? Robin Tunney said that she would actually do it. Like she'd participate in some way, depending on what the script and what the director were. You know, obviously she wouldn't do it just because it's a remake, but if it was good enough, she'd be involved. I don't know how Nev Campbell feels about it, but I do know how Rachel True feels about it. Rachel True does not feel great about it. Well, that's because she hates that she was always excluded from stuff, right? That's exactly it. Recently, actually earlier this year, she would tweet uh, a few things. She tweeted, I think it's interesting these conventions, talking about, you know, movie conventions or conventions about the craft or witchcraft or whatever are booking Nev, Feruza, and Robin all together, but excluding me. Sounds about white is what she said. <laughs> she followed that up with uh, things like kind of like the press junkets back in the day for the film. So like even in the press junkets and, and the problem with that on one hand is that, yeah, Rachel you're not a celebrity. You're the only one who's not famous. But also, Robin Tunney wasn't really famous yeah, she either. she really wasn't, no. But she's the main character. Right. You know? But it's all a movie about four women in a coven. Yes. Why aren't all four of them there? Yeah, it's really dumb. It's really fucking shitty. She says, maybe it's just an oversight, but 
I mean, it's a film about four fucking girls, not three. And then later on, she said, this thread just made me remember the shitty feeling of watching the other three girls present that year at the MTV Movie Awards while I sat in the audience despite having two movies coming out. So, like, she had more stuff coming out. There was no reason why she shouldn't be on stage. These things aren't the worst to suffer, but accumulated over the years are exhausting. By the way, I brought up award show, etc., because being left out of these events didn't just hurt ego. It had a direct effect on POC actors' pocketbooks and public profiles and level of celebrity. She could have been bigger and elevated other people of color, etc., etc., but they were explicitly leaving her out. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that none of the other girls feel bad about it. Right? Didn't say anything about it. Weren't like, hey, we won't do it unless it's all four of us. Mm -hmm. Like, very, very surprised. Mm -hmm. Who knows how much power they had to wield at the time, but I mean, Nev Campbell, she was huge. Well, Faruza Balk, I mean, she was in fucking American American History History X. X. Not until after this. I think like American 99. History X is like 98, 99. Right. I guess. Yes. Yeah. But like you'd think that she would fucking say something or do yeah. something. Yeah. She's also the bold one. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It is kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. I would have. I, I like to think I would have done that. I never would have gone up there. I, I, right. I, I would have said, said. That's absurd. Why I would have said, why isn't she here? Yeah. If she's not here, then I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, Kelsey, what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 72. Try 55. Ouch. No Metacritic, no cinema score. The Rotten Tomatoes consensus review reads, The craft's campy magic often overrides the feminist message at its story's core, but its appealing cast and postmodern perspective still cast a sporadic spell. Overrated or underrated? (laughs) Way underrated. Okay, how underrated? I'm going to give it an 84. 84. I fucking love the craft. (laughs) Look, it's not the best movie. It's got shitty effects. It's a silly story. But I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I was originally thinking 73. Oh. I will up it a few points to a 76. I don't think there's ever a time when I'm not in the mood for the craft. Yeah. I mean, I get it, but it seeing it now, I think it's been probably like five years since I've seen it. Uh, it might get worse every time I see it. it. It hasn't aged very well. Every time I see it, I'm more angered by how weak the rest of the story is. Yeah, uh-huh. Because, you know, you weren't paying attention to that the first times that right. you saw it. You were so in love with these characters. But then once you've gone past that and you start paying attention, you're like, oh, that's a yeah, really nope. fucking dumb story. Um, but the girls are so great. Yeah. I love watching them. Feruza Balk especially. It reminds me so much of when I was a kid. Me and Jesse fucking loved this shit. Yeah. We were way into Fucking this young shit. girls were all over this movie. Yes. So... I'll never not want to watch The Craft. You could ask me to watch The Craft right now. I'd watch it. Yeah. Interestingly, because it was young girls were all into it and shit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact reason, but they specifically crafted <laughs> this movie to be PG-13. But And it shows. It's rated R. 
And when asked, why? Yes, right. So when asked about that, I'm trying to remember the specific reason because I don't have it written down. No, it's it's like it's the shitty MPAA. By the way, like the MPAA sucks real bad, and they do things like in you know there. What's that? um, There's a documentary that talks about the making of. you know how the MPA works, and specifically, they invoke mm-hmm. um, "Boys Don't Cry," mm-hmm. and that got an R rating because it showed um, a transgender man going down on a woman. You didn't see anything, but he comes up and then wipes his mouth. That gave it an R, and it was such a double standard. Yeah, huge double standard. Mm-hmm. This was something similar, but I think it was about like the witchcraft stuff. Because it was so heavily witchcrafty and about like invoking spirits and stuff like that. Like it was all this, it was this whole big religious Christian thing, right? <laughs> so I, I think if I remember correctly, that that's what it was about. And the writer slash director, Andrew Fleming, expressed his frustrations about it. His ultimate concern was that, well, fuck, if, if I knew there was nothing I could do to make it PG-13, I, I would have put more F-bombs R. in it. Yeah. I would have made it more R. I would have put scarier shit in yeah. it. Yeah. You know, like, uh-huh. I would have, yeah. Ugh. It's a bummer. Yeah, it is. It's a bummer. Uh, but in any case, that is 1996's The Craft. Before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. What is the color of the lanterns lit at the houses of the invitation members in 2015's The Invitation. It's red. Good for you. (laughs) I wouldn't have remembered that shit. (laughs) I absolutely remember that. That movie had such a good premise. You know what? And and I think... The ending is so shitty. Yeah, I think overall I enjoyed it. I was having a really good time watching it. Yeah, I just didn't like the... Not the immediate ending. The immediate ending was just kind of like, really? (laughs) But like the last half act or so, I didn't really like that much. But I would would say I would end up on the positive side on that movie. Yeah, the whole beginning part is great. Mm -hmm. When they're setting it up. Yeah. It's really good. All the relationships between the people and yeah. All right, Kelsey. What is the name of the fictional Canadian mining town in which My Bloody Valentine, 1981, is set? Could it be Easter? Is it the town of Easter? No. Is it the town of Christmas? No. Is it Valentine? No. Ha! I see this is where I said it was a little bit tricky. You fucking dig. Valentine what? Oh, bluffs. Yes. Valentine bluffs. There you go. I thought you were being a total dick. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I just knew it wasn't only Valentine. It was Valentine something. Good job. Wow. I think if you would have prompted me in the same way, I wouldn't have known. Oh. I knew it was Valentine something. I love my bloody Valentine. I love that movie. All right, Kelsey, next up is 2015's The Witch, written and directed by Robert Eggers, his first major motion picture, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Innocent, and Kate Dickey. What is The Witch about? 
a family in the 1600s is sent to live in the wilderness, and they are a Puritan family, and Puritans in the woods don't mix. Yeah. It is free on Netflix. Obviously, you can buy it other places should people watch this movie. I think it's an important film to see, but I won't guarantee that you'll like it. That's a perfect summary of my feelings as well. That's exactly the way I feel. I think this movie is incredible. I make no guarantees as to whether or not you will like it. (laughs) But I think you should see it, and we're going to say as little as possible about the movie. Not that there's anything huge and, oh my god, you'll never believe, but it's just, you should experience the movie for yourself. I think so. Yeah. In any case, you could take our advice or leave it, and when we get back, we will talk about 2015's The Witch. Let us pray. We will conquer this wilderness. It will not consume us. The witch now playing. Okay, Kelsey, before we get started, there's a few things we need to talk about. First and foremost, I am not feeling great, and that's why my voice sounds like this. Secondly, you might notice that we did not refer to this movie as the Vavitch. There's a reason for that. The name of the movie is stylized on screen as The Witch, a New England folktale. Obviously because of the history with with witchcraft in New England back during the era. But also, The Witch is spelled with two Vs. At the time, it was completely a stylized thing. Now, I'm going to get some things... Slightly wrong and vaguely, so please do not, like, write in pedantically about this. But there's a history of the letter W. It did not exist when the sound W existed. The letter U came from the letter V because V and U were the same letter in the Greek alphabet. And then the Greeks informed the... Romans, who had Latin, and eventually they differentiated between the two sounds by curving the bottom of a V into a U. And that's all we had. We still did not have a letter for the W sound because Latin didn't have a W sound very often in it. But eventually, in going back to old texts from other languages and stuff like that, they realized they needed to represent the sound of the W. And they would do that with a U, and that was also very confusing. So now you had the U coming from the V, because V was representing two sounds, and now U was representing two sounds. So they came up with the W. But because U and V were very interchangeable at the time, sometimes it would be a double U, sometimes it would be a double V. In English, we landed on calling it a W, but it could be represented by either a W or a double V. In the 1600s, where this takes place, they were aware of this distinction, and it was purely a stylized thing. We already had a whole letter on its own by this point, which is a W, 
but sometimes they would do both. Specifically, Robert Eggers was looking at a pamphlet on witchcraft from the time which used both. On the same page, there would be a W and the stylized two Vs next to each other. And he thought it looked fucking cool, because it does. And that is it. That is the whole story behind why it is Vavitch. It is not pronounced Vavitch, it is pronounced the witch, and so after this point, you won't hear us call it Vavitch anymore. And when we put it on our website, it, it will be, be a W. Witch. Yes, exactly. So, moving on from that, Kelsey, how does the witch begin? We meet our family, which consists of the girl from Split. Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Thomason. The lady from Game of Thrones. Kate Dickey, who plays Catherine. And I don't know if we've ever seen the father. Uh, William is played by Ralph Ineson. He is obviously a, a British actor. He's been in a couple of things, but he's not too huge. Uh, he was in the Harry Potter series. He was in... As who? Uh, Amicus Caro is his character. He was a bad guy. I think so. Caro was a bad yeah, guy. Yeah, um... He was a Ravager pilot in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He was also in Game of Thrones. As who? A character called Dagmar Cleftjaw in Game of Thrones. How many episodes? Several, like five at least. Hmm. He's also a voice actor in a lot of things, so expect to hear his voice in the new... Dark Crystal series. It's going to be on Netflix. He plays the hunter. He's also a character in Chernobyl, which we haven't seen yet. So, yeah, you see him around. Uh, that's Ralph Innocent, who plays William. And then there's also the son. Harvey Scrimshaw, who plays Caleb. He hasn't been in anything you've seen. He's been in a couple things, but nothing you've seen. The twins, a boy and a girl. Mercy and Jonas, played by Ellie Granger and Lucas Dawson. And then there's a baby boy. Samuel, who's played by twins, Axton Henry Dubay, or Dube, or Doobie, and Ethan Conrad Dube. <laughs> it's D-U-B-E. This is our family. Yes. And what's happening to them in the beginning of this movie? They don't really explain, but basically they're on trial. He, he, the father is being accused of having prideful conceit. So basically what it sounds like is he was kind of going around preaching. Yeah. And kind of telling them that they were doing everything wrong. Yes. And because of that, they have banished him and his family because the Puritans always believed it's through the entire family. You know, just because a woman sins, that means that the child is also a sinner. Yeah. So, there's... I've got to say, I'm very... I think I said this before. I'm very thankful for watching it with captions, because we first saw this in the theater, and we loved it then, but it was very difficult to understand some things. There's a particular moment towards the end of the movie where it's almost impossible to understand what they're saying without captions. They're being banished from the town, which you kind of have to understand what was going on in America at the time. Because so much of our culture was based on Puritanism, and of course this family is all about Puritanism, 
we the Puritans believed that the further you were away from civilization, the closer you were to the devil. The wilderness was the devil's playground. Yeah. And so when they leave and they see this for them terrifying wilderness, we hear this music. Now, this music is supposed to be, I think, providing tension and kind of putting you on the same level as they are. But the problem is we no longer have these beliefs. So when you play that music, like this screeching sound, and we're looking at trees. All I can think of is, are we watching The Happening? Yeah, oh yeah, are the trees supposed to be villainous? Yes. In a way, they kind of are. For them. Yeah. uh But in my opinion, they were not successful in making the wilderness as scary as the characters felt it was. I I feel you. I, I think it's not until deeper into the movie when they start going into the forest that it starts to have any sort of eeriness to it. Well, the music is done by a man named Mark Corvin, and he wanted to use electronic instruments, and Egger said no. Uh, he didn't want any traditional in his words, traditional harmony or melody in the score. So Corvin used a lot of real instruments that you wouldn't normally use in a film score. Things like something called a nickel harp and a water phone. And what he ended up doing is making a lot of sounds and giving them to Eggers to place where he wanted. So he didn't, like like many composers do... He didn't watch the movie without a score and create a score to go along with it. He created musical moments that would evoke feelings of dread, dissonance, that kind of stuff. And then they were like cues that Eggers could plant throughout the movie. And that's how they did the musical score to this. It's not a traditional score by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that was a mistake. So then they are, you know, trying to make the most of it. They are trying to plant their own crops and they are trying to hunt, but they are not equipped for this. They don't know what they're doing and their crops are failing and they're failing at producing meat. So this is one of the interesting things about the movie. There are things in the movie that might lead you to believe that the events of the film aren't actually happening. I personally believe, mainly because it's authorial intent, and I know the death of the author and all of that, but he did still drop some stuff in there to where you could explain it away. Like, for instance, the corn that they have has gone bad. Specifically, the way it's gone bad is it's been rotted with something called ergot. It's a hallucinogenic fungus that actually existed back then. And some people think led to real life people believing that people are possessed or that people are witches is because they were hallucinating (laughs) on this thing in the corn, but we only see it once and we know that their corn has gone bad and that's what it's gone bad with, but we never see them eat it or anything like that. So just that's an available interpretation for the film. There's a scene, it's really not important, but there's a scene where 
the mother is breastfeeding the baby? Does she need to breastfeed everything and everything she's in? (laughs) As we know, she plays a character who breastfeeds her... Nine-year-old. Nine-year-old child (laughs) in Game of Thrones. So we just thought that was funny. Uh Uh-huh. The start of their trauma happens right away. Yes. The girl from Split. Anya. Anya is- Or Thomasin is her character's name. Thomasine. She is taking care of the baby. She's just playing with him, but she's doing peekaboo, which means that her eyes will be closed for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. While she's doing that, the baby ends up getting taken one of the times when she is Yeah, she opens her eyes. her eyes and the baby's not there. She looks up at the tree line and she sees some rustling. Yes, and later we will hear one of the twins claim that they saw a witch fly in really fast and take the baby, but they won't say that in front of the parents. And in addition, the idea that it could happen that fast is very silly. Well, she's a witch. Yes, but remember, I'm saying that the twins saw it happen. Yeah. So it's not like it happened so fast that you couldn't see it. Right. But the point is, you couldn't hear. She's looking down at the baby, covering her eyes, opening her eyes. She's not looking everywhere else. And there's a character that comes flying in. Could have been fucking right on top of her for all she knew. And she wouldn't have heard it. So the reason flying is important here. Supposedly, a witch would create what they call a flying ointment. And we see her do this. The next time we see this baby, fairly recently after this, none of the other characters are there which is why it implies that this is actually happening. So, like, nobody's hallucinating this. But it could just be their imagination thinking about what happened. Exactly. And I hate that he gives that option. Uh Uh-huh. I liked it better when I thought it was just, this is just the story. No, I think that was his goal. And I think if you want, you can interpret it that way. But there's nothing in the text specifically about this scene that implies that it's not real. But in any case, we see the witch kill the baby, mash up all of its bones and blood and all of that, mix it into some sort of ointment, and then rub it all over herself. By the way, the witch was played by a woman actually named Bathsheba, which is the name of the witch in The Conjuring. Mm -hmm. In any case, this was a real thing. They thought witches kidnapped unbaptized male babies to use them as an ingredient in a flying ointment that they would rub on their bodies that gave them the ability to fly. That is a good question because they do later say the whole thing is that if you're not baptized, then you can't go into heaven and they're freaking out because they think their son is in hell. And they, and then the mother says, what about the twins? Because they haven't been baptized either. Apparently. Yeah. When the hell did they baptize? Because nowadays we baptize basically like within a couple of weeks of being born. Well, see, that's the thing is you can't be baptized. And this obviously isn't a universal thing amongst Christianity. It changed after this, I think, or sometime around this time where you could baptize a baby because it was a method of getting around this problem where if you weren't baptized, (laughs) you would go to hell. It's like, well, what about all the babies that died? They're in hell now? So I guess we'll baptize babies. But the point is you can't be baptized until you can take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior into your heart knowingly. And you can't do that as a baby. So babies are just fucked, basically. And William says at some point, That we don't actually know. 
Right, because he, he, he's trying to put all of his faith and trust in God. Yeah. And he's saying, I don't believe my God would send my baby son to hell. Mm-hmm. But he does say, we have no idea and we have no way of knowing. We just have to trust in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Dudley, our children have been fostered up like savages. How often I begged and begged thee to take Samuel for baptism. But God's baptized outside the congregation. Oh, Sam is in hell. Of two. After that, we get a scene with the son and the sister, Anya and her brother, Caleb. And he definitely lusts for her. Yeah, she's the only young woman that's not his mom or a baby. (laughs) Right. So it could be taken that way. It could just be that he's at that age. And unfortunately for him, the only person around him that's his age that he would be attracted to is his own sister. And I do know that that's the kind of thing that would really happen when you're isolated like that. But the thing is, is that they haven't been isolated for that long at this point. And he just came from a village filled with people. So, like, my question is... Is it really just the isolation, or is it just that he's just attracted to his sister? <laughs> no, I think it's he's approaching that age where he's starting to get those feelings, and this is the first time he's having those feelings. Mm. The mother is extremely, extremely depressed by this whole thing, as yep. any parent would be. But, and this is something that the father will bring up later, he, expo- he says... We've been extremely lucky. None of our children have died, which back then was pretty unheard of. Mm -hmm. You had a billion kids because the worry was that they weren't going to make it to adulthood. Right. There There were two reasons why you had lots of kids. Number one, the high infant mortality rate. And number two, you needed hands for farming. And number three, you need more people for God. Yes. So I totally get why the mother would be distraught. But I also appreciate that the father is like, most women lose their children. <laughs> yes. But for Catherine, this is a compounding thing. She's already super fucking stressed about the fact that they were banished from civilization and their crops aren't doing that great. And now her son has passed away. Like, it's just and she blames thing her daughter. after thing after thing. Yeah, she blames her daughter. Meanwhile, the father says we need to go into the forest to go hunting and the kid's like i thought you forbid me from going into the forest yeah and the dad's like you gotta kind of we gotta do this (laughs) oh well too bad and he's trying to be a really good son he is being tested on his way into it and he's trying to memorize oh yeah all these things about jesus and he's explaining that you know i was born from sin I am a sinner. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, like, I wouldn't Yeah, this be. is when he asks about Sam, his little brother, did he go to hell? And then this is when William's like, his the best consolation he can give him is, we do not know. Was, was Samuel born a sinner? Aye. Am I then... We pray he hath entered God's kingdom. What wickedness hath he done? Place faith in God, Caleb. Tell me. Tell thee what? Is he an L? Caleb. Mother will not stop her prayer. And if I died, if I died this day... What is this? I ought evil in my heart. My sins are not pardoned. Thou art younger yet. And if God will not hear my prayer... Caleb. Tell me. Look, you. I love thee marvellous well. 
but tis God alone, not man, what knows who is the son of Abraham and who is not. Who is good and who is evil. Fain would I tell thee that Sam sleeps in Jesus. That thou wilt, that I will. But I cannot tell thee that. None can. Yeah, and he's basically saying we're not going to talk about him anymore. Yeah. Because basically... It bothers your mother. That, but also... I don't think the father has any responses. Yeah, uh and so he doesn't want to keep getting asked. Exactly, because he doesn't want to admit to his son that he doesn't know. Yeah. And they figure out that their traps are not working. Something about these animals is allowing them to not get into their traps. Yes. They end up seeing a rabbit, and he tries to shoot it, but the gun backfires on him. Yes. So, the thing about the animals, and we'll talk about the rabbit as well. The implication is that Satan or demonic animals in general are appearing in this film in a couple of different forms. They're used in the posters for the movie. There's a goat. There's a crow or a raven. I can't remember which. And there's a rabbit. So rabbits were thought to be like witchy animals they would either be witches in animal form or they would cause your milk to spoil, like your animal's milk to go bad, or they were spies or what have you. And so that's not referenced outright in this, but we do see a sort of sinister rabbit. And so when William goes to shoot the rabbit, the gun backfires. So his flintlock rifle that he has, the powder that's supposed to propel the bullet forward instead blows up in his face. And the rabbit is totally fine. It's as if him pointing at the rabbit trying to kill it is what caused him self-harm. Mm-hmm. Now, goats, goats are going to have a big part in this movie, specifically one. Well, this is when we meet that goat. Yeah. When they come back... The twins are screaming and playing with this goat that they have named. Black Philip. Yes. So you'll often see in a lot of quote unquote satanic imagery, Satan represented as, as a goat. That's the thing. They thought that Satan would appear on earth as a goat, just like witches would be rabbits. They thought that ghosts were heavily related to witches because witches conversed with Satan, etc., etc. So we have rabbits, we have ravens, and we have goats that are very satanic creatures back then. When the father shows up, the wife is extremely perturbed because the twins are just going crazy, and that's because they won't listen to their sister. Thomason, she's barely tried to get them to do what she wants them to do. They they totally ignore her Uh because they know she's not going to do anything to them. And when he returns, the wife is like, where the fuck have you been? I woke up and my husband and my other son were gone after I'd just lost my other son. What the fuck were you doing? And the father's like, can't a man just spend quality time with his son? And the wife is not going to buy it. And then the son totally lies. Yes. So she's like, basically, fine. Don't tell me. She's pissed off. And that's when the son chimes in, thinking he's helping things. We went to find apples in the valley. I thought I seen an apple tree in the valley. Father bought the gun. For if we glance at water... Why did you not tell me? Father wanted it a surprise to cheer you and... I like you not outside the farm, even to the valley. Just hear me. 
conversation that William and Caleb had in the forest was about things were not going so great. He's needed to trade some things to, there is a Native American man that comes by, there's a trader that comes by, and he needed to sell some of their stuff in order to survive, including his wife's silver goblet. So Caleb knows about this. He also knows that the reason they're out in the forest is to hunt, even though the wife... Catherine doesn't think they should go into the forest at all uh, because they just do not have food and they're in dire straits. Mm -hmm. And so William has asked Caleb not to tell his mom about it, not to lie, just to omit. When he chimes in to try to make things better, he's like, oh, I thought I saw an apple. And so we went to look for that apple tree and she's like, you know, I don't want you going there. It's not a great excuse. And William doesn't say anything. He lets his son lie for him. This is... The depth of William's sin in this movie. It's a lot of, uh, he calls it pride. He's ashamed of a lot of things. He's ashamed he can't take care of his family. He has had to take drastic measures. He's ashamed for taking his wife's prized uh, cup. He's ashamed that he is letting his son lie for him. He's not behaving very godly because he's trying to maintain his pride. That's a bulk of where William thinks he goes wrong in this movie. Thomason and Caleb are alone by the river, and they're just being brother and sisterly, even though he's definitely still lusting for her. Yeah. This is when one of the twins, the girl, shows up. And she is saying that the witch came through and stole the baby. And Caleb is just like, you can't say that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But Thomason is so mad and annoyed with her sister that she decides to play a joke on her and says, I'm the witch of the wood. I'm the one who did it. And I'm the one who's flying. And I'm evil. And the sister's like, you're lying. You're not being truthful. And Caleb is like, tell her the truth. She's try She's starting to believe you. Yeah, don't listen to her, Mercy. And Thomason is just like, nope, that's it. I'm going to fuck with her because she's been annoying the shit out of me. And Thomason will regret that. Yes. Twas I what stole him. I be the witch of the wood. Liar. Liar. I am. Listen not to a mercy. I am that very witch. When I sleep, my spirit slips away from my body and dances naked with the devil. So I signed his book. No. He bade me bring him an unbaptized babe. So I stole Sam, and I gave him to my master. And I'll make any man or thing else vanish I like. No. Aye, and I'll vanish thee too if thou displeaseth me. Be quiet. Mercy, she's been telling fantasies. A chance I'll boil and bake thee, since we're a lack of food. No! Stop, Thomason! It's not true! It is, thou thing, how I crave to sink my teeth into thy pink flesh. Ah! If ever thou tellest thy mother of this, I'll witch thee and thy mother, and draw it through. Stop thy tears and swear thy silence. I swear. You'll not tell mother nor father. I swear. Thomason, let her alone. Get away from my Caleb or she'll witch thee. Basically threatening Mercy to shut the fuck up mm -hmm. and obey me or else I'll have you vanished too. This is when they will go back to the house and the mother will accuse her of stealing the silver cup. She says, I've seen you play with it before. I know you took it. And the father does say she didn't take it. Yes. But he does not say 
I took it. Yeah, because Catherine's like, why on earth would you believe her? You know, but he doesn't explain why. Because mm-hmm, he's a piece of shit at that point. Anyone, maybe letting your son lie for you is a piece of shit thing to do, but not admitting that you did something and letting your your yeah. wife blame your daughter for it's, it. it. What we see is a progression, right? He starts making decisions because he's worried that the family won't survive, but he makes them in secret. Then, when his son lies for him, he doesn't tell the truth because that would get his son in more trouble, right? So there's kind of a reasonableness there. But he's 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 bummed. We see his look and he's like, oh, shit, fucking Caleb. <laughs> and then at this dinner table, when Catherine's talking about the cup, it's one step further where if he would speak up, she wouldn't be in as much trouble. But he would be. And so he doesn't speak up and he lets his daughter take the brunt of it, thinking Mm -hmm. effectively that, you know what? The mom's going to be mad at kids all the time. This will pass. Well, if it will pass, what are you worried about? Mm -hmm. Well, because he was planning on telling her. It was just that he was waiting for something to happen before he was going to tell her. Okay, so a couple of funny things here. They see the rabbit again, and I wrote down Waskily Weather because uh-huh. they can't shoot him. I don't know who is talking to who. Somebody is going into the woods. I assume it's the dad. And somebody says, let me along. Oh, it's Caleb. It's Caleb, and Thomason it's- wants to follow him. Yes, and she's saying, let me along with you. What's happening here is the previous night, they overheard a conversation between the parents because there aren't like rooms per se in this house that they have the kids are sleeping upstairs in the attic and the parents sleep downstairs and they heard them arguing and one of the things that's going to happen is the next time that william goes into town to try to sell what little they have he's also going to offload thomason which will do two things number one well three things really number one it will get thomason out of Catherine's hair Catherine is really annoyed with Thomason right now. Number two, it's one less mouth they have to worry about feeding. And number three, it ensures that Thomason will survive, right? If anything bad does happen to the family, at least Thomason will be safe with another family in town, which was a thing they would do at the time is once a woman got to marrying age or breeding age, she would be passed off to another family. What it was, was they would just basically send girls to be basically maids yeah. until they got married. Yeah. It, it was supposed to be preparing them. So you detach from the parents and you prepare by taking care of another household so that you could get married and then have your own household. Yes, yeah. The Crucible is not exactly true, but that's the whole story behind the Crucible is that mm-hmm. she was sent to work for them and then he ended up sleeping with her. So that was totally a thing that they did. Uh-huh. They are going out there for meat to try and stop this from happening. Thomason is riding a horse while Caleb is walking. Uh Well, Caleb goes after a rabbit, but the horse freaks out. And Thomason ends up falling off the horse and getting knocked out. Uh And then the kid gets lost. Caleb can't find her. And he's trying to yell out for her. And he tries to do the whistle thing. Uh And he he can't can't. do it. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm right there with you, buddy. Uh I can't do that either. And this is when he finds the witch's house. So it looks like every single witch's house in the woods that you might have seen, like out of Brave or something like that. 
She's a, wearing a red hood. An attractive young witch comes out, also implying like the different kinds of witches. There's the there's the sexy one, there's the matronly one, there's the old wise one, you know. So this is the young sexy one comes out and she, yeah, she's wearing like this cloak and she approaches him and he is terrified stiff and then she ends up kissing him and like basically making out with this young man. And we hear this loud choir music, and it's like, again, I get this. I understand why you're doing it, but it's just so much that it's taking me out of the scene. No, I love it. I I disagree with you on the music front, but I can see where you're coming from. I don't object to your opinion or anything. Thomason wakes up. Yeah, and, and William finds her. Yes. When they go back to the house, the mother then is now blaming her for losing Caleb. Right, she just happens to be with these people as they disappear. And finally the father speaks up. Yes. Finally admits, I'm the one who took your cup. Leave your daughter alone. Speak! I... I took my father's cup. I sold it. Both the mother and Thomason are totally shocked by this. I don't think Thomason would have ever guessed that her father would have let her take the fall. Yeah. And I don't think the mother would have ever guessed that he would have taken her cup. Yeah. So he's just doing things all over the place that these people have not expected him to And do. now Catherine's other son is her oldest son and her youngest son are gone now. And all she has left, all she has left, is her oldest daughter and the twins. So she's really not happy and she's really starting to fucking lose it. But Thomason is trying to make things better. And Catherine, there are moments where she, like, really appreciates that Thomason is making an effort. Things like it's going to rain or it is raining. Has the goat and the sheep been... uh Bedded down. Bedded down, you know, because they're out in the pen. You got to put them back in. They're covered. I forget what the word is for it. She's like, well, no, not yet. And Catherine's like, uh, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll do it tomorrow. They won't run far in the rain. And Thompson's like, no, I'll I'll take care of it because I want to please you. And, you know, Catherine's like, that's, that's very good of you, you know, that you'll do that. And so Thomason goes outside to put the animals in their kennel, I guess. And that's when she sees Caleb, Caleb completely naked and stumbling, incoherent. And then he passes out. And so they take him back upstairs into the attic. They bloodlet. And they, yeah, they let his blood. From here to when he eventually wakes up, you'll see there are lots of cuts on his body. It's like they don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. There's a few things that are happening here. And they happen very quickly and they overlap. So we'll cover all of them. Number one, Mercy accuses Thomason of witchcraft. Number two, Thomason denies it vehemently. And does participate in the Lord's Prayer, praying over Caleb's body. Number three, the twins cannot finish the prayer. This is important because some 60 years after this movie takes place are the Salem Witch Trials. And one of the things that they thought was that if you were possessed by the devil or you were a witch, you could not complete the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because... 
I mean, this is before that was like a thing that people knew. The family here just knows the kids aren't finishing the prayer. Something witchcrafty is going on. And since Mercy accused Thomason, then she must be the one that's preventing them from finishing the prayer. If you love the crucible like I do, and I've also taught it several times, it's not that they're stealing from the crucible because these things really did right. happen. It's that the crucible is referencing something that really happened. Right. Yeah. But it's like they are heavily drawing from that. Uh-huh. A lot of the things that the kids will do are exactly the same things that the kids do in the crucible. Yeah. All Falling the, on all the, floor, the accusations. Acting and, like yeah. they're being hurt. Yeah. Uh, pretending to go into a coma. Not being able to remember the Lord's Prayer. All of those things happen in the crucible. Yeah. Another thing that happens is that Caleb ends up waking up, talking in some weird language. We don't know what he's saying and ends up coughing up an apple related to, again, his lie, which is a representation of his sin. Everyone sees this and Catherine, of course, thinks that it's witchcraft and that's where the accusations come in. And a lot of the things that he says are also things that they claim in the crucible. She's on top of me. She's crushing me. Yeah. All those things are things that people said that were happening to them. But then he actually dies. Yes. <laughs> but he proclaims his love for Jesus and he thinks he sees him. Mm-hmm. And the implication here is that though combated with evil and sin, Caleb is so godly that he wants to make sure that he's professing his love for Jesus before he dies so that he might ensure he goes to heaven. And we know that that was something that Caleb specifically was worried about. So Caleb is dead. Thomason, Mercy, and Jonas are the only children left. And neither of the parents believe Thomason when she denies any witchcraft. Outside, Thomason is freaking out, and William is like, you're the reason that Caleb's dead, it's your fault, you know, etc., etc., and she's like, you want to know the truth? You want to know the truth? And he's like, yes, speak the truth, stop lying to me. And she says, what about the twins? They talk to that goat, a representation of Satan. They're the ones that are actually doing satanic shit. They're the ones that did it. And William is pissed off by this. And it kind of seems like he's like, oh my God, you're right. Let's get to the bottom of this. But really what he's doing is like, all right, let's entertain this, Thomason, and show you for a liar. Right? And he drags her inside. She also says that the only thing you're good at is chopping wood. Yes. You can't protect this family. You can't provide for this family. You are killing this family. (laughs) And that obviously pisses him off. So he throws her in and he's like, tell her, tell her what's really going on. But we really know what he's saying is tell her what you told me so she can understand how ridiculous what you said is. The twins are, are in a coma laying down on the parents' bed and Catherine is like not having any of it. Thomason's like, ask them, find out. William is so fucking enraged at this point that he ends up picking up is it Mercy? I think so. Yeah, okay. We see Mercy a lot more often than we ever see Jonas. Yes. But so she picks up one of them and... Methinks one was a better actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like shakes him by the collar, whichever one it was, and threatens to 
you know, basically, if they're dead, I might as well kill them or whatever, chop them up or whatever it is he says. Bash the pillow, wife, and I will smite Jonas as Abraham would have done his seed. Stop it! Fetch the pillow, and I will dash his skull! Thomason is like, ha! See, they were fucking faking it. And William doesn't know what to believe. He boards all three of them up in the barn where the animals sleep. Now all that's left is William and Catherine in the house, Mercy and Jonas with Thomason boarded up in the barn. What happens in the barn? I do love that she asks them, are you really witches? Does he really speak to you? And they don't. Well, they say, does father really think we are? Uh Uh-huh. Are you witches? Father think I am? Are you? No. Does he really speak to thee? They're avoiding the question. Yes. Which I think is our answer. Yes. Earlier, at some point... Thomason goes to milk the goats and out comes blood. Yeah. And that's another thing that the kids think proves that she is a witch. Yeah. But that's important because that night while they're sleeping in the barn, some spirit comes in and we don't know what it is at first. And then as they look around the barn, they see the naked old witch, the one that killed Sam, basically drinking the blood of one of the goats. And then turns and laughs at them. And they scream. Now, meanwhile, in the house, what's going on? The mother is visited by Caleb and the baby. Yes. And Caleb basically says, do you want to be with us? If you do, here's the book. Yeah. And she's gone insane at this point. So she's totally like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do anything. I just want to be with you guys. Yeah. And she thinks she takes the baby to breastfeed. We end up seeing her laughing as a crow picks at her nipple. We will see you often, mother. Would that please you? I have brought a book for your mother. Will you look at it with me? Yes. So that was a thing that people thought, (laughs) like the difference between a witch and a non-witch really is writing in Satan's book. You're basically signing a pact with the devil. That's what that's all about. They referenced that several times in this movie about signing Satan's book. We don't see it, but the implication is that Catherine does this because she's lost it at this point and she wants her sons back. And so she thinks she's breastfeeding her baby. And what's really happening is is she's feeding this crow. This is a thing that people thought witches had was some sort of extra nipple or appendage or whatever where they would feed their familiars. Interesting. And so what's happening is she's feeding her witchly familiar, which is this crow. Mm. But in her head, she's, she's breastfeeding Sam. Yeah. Okay. So – it's morning now. The goats are dead. We know because the witch killed them. But Mercy and Jonas are gone. They're nowhere to be seen. And the barn is in kind of a shambles. William gets up and comes out and sees all this. He doesn't notice that his wife, still in bed, is bleeding from her nipple. 
hmm. in her nightgown. Mm-hmm. He comes out and he sees all this and he's like, what the fuck is going on? And he gets rammed into by Black, by Philip. Black Philip. Kills him dead. Well, they start to fight or they're going to. William grabs an axe that he uses to cut wood and he ends up dropping it. And Black Philip rams into him again, knocks him into all the wood that he's been building up, way more wood than they would need, or at least they're preparing for wintertime. It's a kind of a representation of what William has accomplished and the only thing he has accomplished, which isn't providing for his family directly. It's a representation of how William has fucked up as a provider, falls on top of him, killing him. Catherine comes running out because of all the noise. All that's left are Catherine and Thomason, and that's it now. And Catherine is flipping out at Thomason, not realizing the fact that she's already sold her soul to the devil, and attacks Thomason, starts strangling her. And all Thomason can do is say that it's not her and that she loves her. While she's shouting, I love you, she ends up killing her mother. Yeah, because she's going to die, and she doesn't want to do this, but she grabs a knife nearby and ends up stabbing her mother several times to get her off of her, because otherwise Catherine's going to kill her. This is when she walks into the barn after following Black Philip, and then he starts to talk. When I first saw this in theaters, uh-huh. I was shocked. Yes, that Black Philip really was Satan. That was probably the coolest thing about this movie when I first saw it. Totally. I was just like, holy shit. I thought this was all in all of their minds. Yeah. Because it could be written off like that up to this point. And so that's why when I realized, oh my God, it really is the devil. I thought that was super cool. So when I heard that you can read it either way, I was like, well, fuck that. Right, but you, but we do know explicitly what the author intended. Yeah. Is that all of this is literally happening. All of it. When she sees Black Philip the goat, she says, I conjure thee to speak to me. Speak as thou dost speak to Jonas and Mercy. She's like, I'm fucking fed up with this. You talk to Jonas and Mercy, talk to me now. Like Philip, I conjure thee to speak to me. Speak as thou to speak to Jonas and Mercy. Dost thou understand my English tongue? Answer me. What dost thou want? What canst thou give? writing in Satan's book. Remove thy shift. And she says, I cannot write my name. 
And as Satan, represented by a man at this point. Which I didn't remember. I did not remember that he turned into a man at all. Yeah. Is behind her and whispers into her ear, I will guide thy hand. Yeah, you can't write your own name. Why She never had occasion to learn that. He'll guide her. She just has to do it. And then what does she do? She walks naked into the forest. Where she finds... A coven of witches who that are, are flying. Flying and chanting. Yes, and so then she joins them and she's laughing. And that's the end I'm of the flying. movie. I'm flying! I'm flying! They both end with a woman flying. Yeah, so... Kelsey. Yeah. Lightning round. There are a couple things. Yeah, I have several things too. I couldn't tell if the sister was aware of her brother's feelings for her or not. The second time that we see him looking at her when she's by the the, the, the river, river, the creek, yeah, she notices him and says, "What are you doing? Come here!" And like she's tickling him like an older sister would. No, I think she is completely aware. No, oh. She is completely innocent about this. Oh, okay. She's like, ah, you're my brother. We're playing around. There's nothing sexual about it. Because she doesn't see him as a sexual being. He's still her younger brother who hasn't had his sexual awakening yet, not understanding that he's having it right now. And to her, if she's even aware of sex, it's a marriage thing. Right. Something she gives to her future husband. So there is nothing sexual about what they're doing right now. They're, she's just playing with her baby brother. But he's having this sort of sexual awakening. He's like, stop it, stop it. And he's having fun, but then also, like, this is weird, you know? <laughs> Apparently, there was going to be more of Black Philip the goat in this movie. There wasn't because Black Philip the goat was horribly trained. <laughs> and they couldn't get him to do what they wanted him to do. <laughs> So they had to kind of like cut around that. And Robert Eggers said that the actual most well-behaved animal in the movie was the rabbit. That the raven and the horse were easy to work with, but the rabbit was the best behaved. And the goat was the least behaved. (laughs) At one point, the mother says she is like Job's wife. And I didn't understand that reference. Yeah, let's talk about Job and Job's wife. So the story of Job... Is that he's the put upon one, right? He's the one that Satan put through all these trials to prove that he could divert somebody from God. And God's like, nope, I know Job. He's a great follower of mine. He'll never divert from me. He killed his kids and ruined his crops and struck him with illnesses and boils and shit like that. And basically totally fucked him over. At one point in the book of Job, there's an entire book of Job. 1714 in the Puritan Bible says, I shall say to corruption, thou art my father, and to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. There's a line that William says later on in the movie, Corruption, thou art my father. Corruption, what he's talking about is the earth. He's talking about a grave. Basically, he's ready to die, I guess you could say. The whole line from 11 to 16 is, 
My days are past, mine enterprises are broken, and the thoughts of mine heart have changed the night for the day and the light that approached for darkness. Though I hope, yet the grave shall be mine house, and I shall make my bed in the dark. I shall say to corruption, thou art my father, and to the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. Where is then now mine hope? Or who shall consider the thing that I hoped for? They shall go down into the bottom of the pit. Surely it shall lie together in the dust. He's basically despairing, exactly like William is in despair at this point. They're contrasting the character of Job in the Bible with William at several points in this movie, including Catherine equating herself to Job's wife. There is one commentary on this that says, basically, there is one last hope of a grieving human. The final, final hope that no matter what happens to you, what you're afflicted with, you stay true when you die and you call corruption your father and the worm thy mother and thy sister. When you finally are laid to rest, then you get to join God. When all hope is lost, there is still that one hope. So when you are despairing the most, there is still reason to hope. And that's what William is going for. That's what he's like, you know, if this is the time that I die, then so be it, basically. What do you think happened to the twins? If you had to guess. Yeah, because they're not there. They're not dead, right? She doesn't wake up to find them dead. No, she, they're, they're just they're gone. gone. That's what I thought. So the whole place is burst open. The barn is still standing, but it's like the wall is broken down or whatever. And the witch is gone, obviously, but the witch was there and we don't see what happened. Where are they? No, not what I saw. Where are they? I did nothing. She came from the sky. Devil. Theoretically, they could have been taken when the witch burst out of the barn, which I assume is what happened. They could have run off uh, in fear. And then maybe eventually died. They could have been eaten by the witches. We just don't know. And that uncertainty is kind of what it's all about. Trying to arrive at certainty from uncertainty is exactly what got us the witch trials in the first place. So when they disappear, I think we need to accept the fact that they are gone. But jumping to conclusions is exactly what caused all this mess in the first place. So don't jump to those conclusions on your jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> you see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Yes. Yes, it's horrible, this idea. Apparently, the frame rate's higher during the scenes of Supernatural. Okay. So normally films are filmed at 24 frames per second. Television and video games like soap operas, for instance, are often filmed at 30 or 60 frames per second, a higher frame rate. And that's why when you have like motion smoothing or any of those effects on your TV and it makes things look really weird on like your parents' television, that's what's going on is the television is filling in those frames when they're not there. Films are intentionally done at 24 frames a second. The scenes where witchy stuff is happening 
were apparently filmed in 27 frames per second, which is supposed to have just this sort of off-kilter feeling, but not as easily identifiable what's going on. Like if it went to 30 or 60 frames per second at those moments, it would have been incredibly obvious. What they're trying to do is just give you an uneasy feeling and something that you're not really going to be able to look back on and point to as like, oh, I remember that and I remember it making me feel weird. No, it's just supposed to be kind of a subconscious thing, just a few frames off. When Thomason comes across the witches, they're chanting. They are actually chanting in Enochian, which is presumed to be the language of angels in the heavens and therefore Satan and witches. And it comes from the 1500s. There is this occultist, John D., who you may have heard of, who uh, kind of came up with it. But that's where that that comes from, the concept of Enochian. And that's what they're that's what they're chanting in. So Kelsey, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 95. It's 90. Okay. As thought-provoking as it is visually compelling, the witch delivers a deeply unsettling exercise in slow-building horror that suggests great things for debuting writer-director Robert Eggers. This movie was made for critics. Yeah. Robert Eggers actually has a new movie coming out right now. It's on the festival circuit right now. I think it's either just come or coming out to theaters called The Lighthouse. Okay. Which you may have heard of. It stars Willem Dafoe and what's-his-face from Twilight, who's apparently a way better actor than anyone gives him credit for. Yeah, Robert Pattinson. It's in black and white. It's in like a four-by-three thing, and it's about these two guys that man a lighthouse. Sounds like something Something this guy would make. Yeah, no, totally. But apparently it's really good. Yeah, I bet the critics say it is. But here's the thing. This is really interesting. It's Metacritic 83, which is fucking insane. It's one of the highest Metacritics we've seen. Is Metacritic being an average of ratings. And you also have to consider that if it's four out of five stars, that's 80% right there. So the fact that on average, it's 83 is pretty high. Uh, also, its cinema score is a C minus, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. Just no. like Kelsey says, this is a critics film. Yes. It's an artsy film. <laughs> it's a film that gets you thinking. <laughs> And just your everyday Joe that's coming out of a theater is probably like, that was was really fucking weird. I was expecting to see a horror movie. Right. I I couldn't understand a fucking thing they said. I beg thee, my Christ. I have not damned my family. These are all reasonable complaints. (laughs) And they come out thinking... No, bad. On average, it's a C minus, which means people came out and were like, F... Like, they hated it. And then there were the people that came out and were like, A, but it skewed lower half of C. So audiences uh, didn't really like it. Critics loved it. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? With the 90? Yeah. Overrated. What would you give it? Look, I, I think this movie is made well. I think there's a lot of- I think it's of, made incredibly well. I think there's a lot of talent here. I think- the acting is superb. I think the family dynamics, I think the 
the black Philip element. I love the um, the eerie feeling that they have throughout it. Oh, and you say the acting is superb. I think Caleb, like how how Thomason and especially Caleb managed to make this dialect sound so natural is insane. I agree. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the story itself is just kind of like when I love something like The Crucible. Sure. And then I see a movie and it's like, in my opinion, kind of presenting it as if they came up with it. I know it's historical. I understand Yeah, I don't that. understand what your problem... Okay, so they both are using the same sources and you have a problem because the Crucible used those sources first. So nobody can make a historical account of witchcraft because the Crucible exists. Not at all. That is not what I mean. That's exactly I- what you're saying. I wish that they had tried to come up with different ways for, like, the twins to present themselves. Because when I see the twins pretending to go into a coma, I immediately think of the Crucible. And you don't want that. You no, don't I want- see what you're saying. I, I Like, I get how you react that way. But logically, that doesn't make any sense. It, where in the Crucible did somebody vomit up an entire whole apple? Where in the Crucible did a raven peck at somebody's breast. Right, and those were the elements that I no, like. right, so what you're saying is anything they do that the Crucible has already been done is therefore no good. Now that the Crucible's done it, nobody else is allowed to do it. No. That's what, that's literally what you're saying. It doesn't matter how many other things they do because they included things that the Crucible did, that's bad. I also think they, and I know you disagree. Uh-huh. I think they completely failed at putting me in their headspace. Not once did I feel dread. Not once did I worry about what was going to happen to the characters. Mm. I was interested. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was good, but there was not an inkling of fear in me. I thought it was eerie, and I liked that. But there was nothing about it that I was ever, like, on the edge of my seat, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? So this is, to me, this is like a hereditary-style horror movie. Mm -hmm. And where hereditary has that one moment for, like, ten fucking minutes, I was just agog. Yes. This had many more of those moments at much lower intensity for me. I was not nearly as agog. Oh, no, not at all. But way more often. I was like, whoa, that was nuts. That was nuts. Holy shit, what's going on? We are seeing a witch grind up a baby to create a lotion that she rubs over her old naked body. You barely can see anything. It's no, you, dark. Yeah, but you can see she's cutting open the child and everything. You see him vomit up this apple. You see the the raven uh, pecking at her breast. Black Philip talks to her and turns into a man. Like, the shit that happens in this movie is fucking bonkers. It's just not as mind-boggling as what happened in Hereditary once. But it happens way more often. But also, Hereditary, I feel... I don't... I guess it's just because I could relate to certain things, like... Sure. But that's the other thing, is because I couldn't relate to this, it was fascinating to get that look at that culture, which felt very authentic. But see, like, I think, like, The Crucible has human elements that you can really relate to. It has things that, like... You still 
feel. There are things that they, they deal with issues that we're still dealing with today. And the fact that this is a folktale and it's about a witch in the wilderness, I enjoy that, but there's nothing scary about it. It's fun to read. It's fun to hear. Mm-hmm. I I can sit down and watch. I can read a, a whole book of old school like fairy tales. Absolutely. But there's no part of me that's going to be like, oh, my God. What's there's happening? also something really interesting about the fact that this is our heritage, you know, like – Mostly to get interesting heritage for us European white people, we have to go back to Europe and shit that we are real far removed from. We are not that far removed relatively from this experience. And I think that's fascinating to me. Okay, I think I figured it out. Okay. I think I figured out why I don't like it so much. A lot of this movie feels very pretentious. And that it feels like it's telling me something I didn't already know. Really? It's trying to teach me things about Puritanism. It's trying to make oh, me but you taught aware people of this stuff. <laughs> I fucking know all of that. So? Don't. I feel like it's treating me like an idiot. No, see, my problem is, is that The Crucible was written in what? The 50s? The 60s? It was written during... Um, the Red Scare. The Red Scare. So that must have been the 60s or so, right? Late 50s, early 60s. It was the 50s. Yeah. So. That's when they were blacklisting people. And it's like just this. That's why he wrote it. There's this shitty, like, I feel like it's a, it's a relatively modern interpretation of what life would have been like trying to relate it to a modern day scenario. I think it was a perfect. No, no, no. I understand. Okay. (laughs) What this is, is not that. It is. Not trying to appeal to modern sensibilities as far as, like, the way they talk and the way they act or any of that. These aren't just people from today. I say today in quotes because, obviously, like I said, it's from the 50s. The Crucible is. Which was basically people from today putting on a a vaguely sort of New England accent, dialect and talking about something that people are supposed to be able to go, oh, they're talking about today. Hey, and- I thought Winona Ryder did a fantastic job, as did, what's his name, the multi-academy award winner? My, my left foot, uh, I, I drink your milkshake. Yeah, what's his face? The last Mohican. Uh- <laughs> I will find you. Anyway. <laughs> Whereas this is supposed to be a more accurate reflection of not only... The time period, how they lived, how they acted, how they spoke, what they believed, and what they were afraid of. And so the fact that you weren't afraid of it is, yes, necessarily a failing of the film. But that's not the film's only objective. The film's other objective is to accurately represent that time period and what their fears and anxieties were about. Whereas The Crucible is about reflecting that modern time's anxieties. Not necessarily the actual Salem witch trials. They're doing different things. And so I don't think you can compare them like that. Anyway, I do like it. I think it's very good. It's just not very interesting to me. It's fair. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 74. Oof. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Oh God, are you gonna give it like a fucking ninety five or something? No, shit? not that high. I I I think I think ninety is right on. Wow. I was tempted to give it a high eighties, like an eighty seven or an eighty eight, but yeah, thinking about it, talking about it. I realize I I really like this movie. And looking back, comparing this to Hereditary, we both gave Hereditary uh, 90s. So I gave it what I gave Hereditary, I guess. It's just not nearly as interesting or captivating for me. See, I think it's in different ways. And I think the music really takes me out. Every time I'm just like, I'm watching a movie. You just took me out of the story. Cool. (laughs) So funny. Yeah, no, I didn't feel that at all like i don't think a movie's success as a movie boils down to how much i don't think i'm watching a movie i want to be immersed i understand we're looking for different things i think it was successful in giving me what i wanted and i think it wasn't successful in giving you what you wanted i think that's fine because we're looking for different things here (laughs) i'm fine with recognizing that this is a movie what I don't want to be thinking about is some sort of like heavy handed, like, oh, I know what you're trying to do and it is not working right now. Like, well, that's how I feel. Right, right, right. <laughs> I didn't feel that way. I was like, ooh, this is fun. Yes, I recognize this as a movie. Of course it's a movie. But it's still like, I can't believe somebody put this on film. When I talk about like immersion, like, I can, I think I said this. I hope I said this when we talked about Hereditary. Even though I came out of the theater not liking it, just as you did, when it happened, I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, yeah. like, I was just like, and that, you know, that grabs you. Yeah. There's nothing in The Witch that's like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. Well, like I say, it's the difference between. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God. <laughs> it's the difference between 100-story building and 10 10-story buildings. That's the way I look at the difference between these two is there are many more moments of lesser intensity, but the same type of they're, they're all buildings. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same number of floors. So I also give this one a 90. Okay. That is this week's witchy episode with 1996's The Craft and 2015's The Witch. What are we watching next week? Next week is a recommendation week. All right. And this comes to us from Chickapedia. Thank you, Chickapedia. Longtime listener, Chickapedia. Yes. She recommended that we watch The Hunger and pair it with Jennifer's Body. Now, we've both seen Jennifer's Body. Yes. You, in fact, are a big fan of Jennifer's Body. I love Jennifer's Body. Never seen The Hunger. You (sighs) say you have kind of seen the hunger? I started it, and I'm sorry, Chickapedia, but I was so bored I turned it off. Do you even remember it? No. Okay. Well, maybe it'll this be different was like this time around. 12 years ago. Right. Yeah. It might be completely different this time around. I just, my friend knew I was a Bowie fan, and she said, you should watch this, and I was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have, like, for instance, I, I bought years ago The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so that is next week, The Hunger and Jennifer's Body. Until then, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com, spell cemetery, you know, however you like. You'll find it. 
You can follow us on Twitter, where we post a lot of supplemental material and conversation at Pod Cemetery. You can email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Best rating or review that you can give to us is a five-star written review. That combination does wonders for us. But even better than that is sharing us with your friends. And you know what? The best thing ever is you listening in the first place. Thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Now is the time. This is the hour. Ours is the magic. Ours is the power. Now is the time. This is the hour. Ours is the magic. Ours is the power. Now is the time. This is the hour. Ours is the magic. Ours is the power. Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! It's going like Hail Satan! <laughs> she doesn't like it. Hail Satan! Does that mean you're gonna play Wishy Woman at the end? I absolutely will, yes. <laughs> Ooh, Witchy Woman! But I will definitely take this out. I will not put the reference in the episode before that plays. I want it to be a fun little thing at the end. <laughs> shit, shit, shit. Until Rachel comes along. I said Rachel. Fuck, is that her name? Sarah. 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 Just so I can have a few to work with. Sarah. Until Sarah comes along. Rochelle, her whole thing is she just wants to belong somewhere. And, like, you know, she misses her mom and she felt like she belonged with her mom. And she lost that sense of belonging. That's really... Rochelle. So, fuck, I'm sorry. Let's back that all up. You fucking dick. Proud of you. For what? Not saying the v bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I made a point of that. Hold on. <laughs> You know what's the worst is when you sneeze and some of it you can feel kind of hits your nose. That's the worst. <laughs> like you're sneezing from your mouth right into your nose. <laughs> oh, too well. Oh, well, bad. Yeah. Oh, bad. Too bad. God damn it. You want to say that all over again?